Thursday, September the 17th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Oh, this is a loaded, loaded one at a time of the year unlike any other because of 2020, the pandemic, the coronavirus. We are in a a time period with a smorgasbord of events of sports like we've never seen before. Things that got pushed back, that got rescheduled, schedules got changed, seasons got shortened. And now we're here to a point where I'm going to have an episode now that that is going to discuss 24 races over three different days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, at three different tracks. We're going to talk Belmont and Churchill for Friday, Belmont, Churchill, and Woodbine for Saturday, and then a couple of thoughts on the Woodbine Saturday stakes. Baseball, we're only two weeks away. We're going to look at what the what, what are the current playoff standings. Now that that's what everyone's worry, worrying about. How many games are we away from in or out of the playoffs? Who are we going to be matching up with? What is that going to look like? NBA, conference finals are set. Clippers with uh, a big-time collapse. And Eric will join us. ETOF21 Sports joins us to talk about the NBA. And then we go NFL Week 2, game by game. Thoughts on every one. Some of Eric's plays, some of my plays. And then old wrestling rewatch WWE 2001 SummerSlam, The Rock, Stone Cold, The Undertaker, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Edge, and the best, Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali joining me to discuss that. So yeah, one episode, one show, bunch of racing, baseball, basketball, football, and old wrestling. Just... The way we love it here, that's what G said. Please support our awesome sponsors. You're going to hear more specifically about all of them throughout the show. Don't forget to play Stable Duel. Download that app and get involved. Play, race, win over at Thrive Fantasy. If you uh, like daily fantasy sports, Thrive has a, a little different tweak to theirs. Promo code Gino. When you deposit 20, you get an instant 20 right into your account. Full service realtor Cindy Carava been with us from the very beginning. CindyCarava.com for all of your real estate needs. Old Smoke Clothing. Promo code GINO will get you free shipping on your order. Any horse racing fans out there, check out all their horse racing gear. And then Sarah Candles. All natural soy wax candles. Promo code GINO gets you 10% off. SarahCandles.com. C E R A Candles.com. This week in Stable Duel, the contest schedule for Friday. Three different opportunities for you. Over at Gulfstream Park, you can get in at Gulfstream for a $10 buy-in, and it's a top 10 contest, $500 guaranteed. Woodbine, there's a $10 buy-in for a $500 guaranteed contest. And at Charlestown, at Charlestown, there's a Fans of Horse Racing contest, $5 buy-in, $250 guaranteed pools. There's really good stuff going on right now at Stable Duel. They are partnering with a lot of uh, aftercare. Um, they're giving th- um, all sorts of prizes away if you follow Stable Duel on social media. Just a really, really good thing that they've been doing. And some of these contests are giving profits and proceeds back um, to aftercare. Um, so really great stuff from Stable Duel. How about Saturday? Woodbine, $25 buy-in, top 10. We're going to talk about some of those Woodbine races right here. $750 guaranteed pool at Charlestown. They got the $10 buy-in, the top 10. And uh, on Sunday, Woodbine, Monmouth, two different Monmouth contests, $5 buy-in It's the for the, uh, for the aftercare charity contest, and then there's a $25 buy-in, and then at Woodbine, it's a $10 buy-in. So contest Friday, 
Saturday, Sunday, one more time. Friday, Gulfstream, Woodbine, Charlestown. Saturday, Woodbine, Charlestown. Sunday, Woodbine, and Monmouth. All the opportunities. You hear us talking about Stable Duel quite a bit. If you ever have any questions, what is Stable Duel? It is horse racing contest, daily contest that you can get into where you play against a bunch of other people for as little as, you know, the amount that I said for the buy-ins, $5, $10, $25. Sometimes they have contests that are a little bit bigger for the $50 and $100 players. But it's a ton of fun because it gives you the opportunity to build a lineup based on a salary cap. You can't just pick the favorite in every race all the way down. So no stables, nobody that you're playing against is going to be able to out by your stable. You know, it's not like, oh, somebody somebody hit that. You can play multiple entries, but in each entry you're still going to have to formulate a, a lineup. So if you if you play a bunch of different ones, nothing is guaranteed. That's what's really great about these these contests and you know, you, you can really really start to figure out strategy, what you're doing, what you how you want to uh, build. Like for me, I'm always using if there's 10 races, you have to fill 10 slots, you have a $50,000 salary cap. I'm always using one horse in each race all the way down. Because that gives you the max opportunity for max points. If you use two horses in one race, the best you can do is finish first and second. And I can finish first in every single race. Now, if there's 8 or 9 races, obviously you can't do that. You got to pick and choose. You know, you're looking for entries. What you're really looking for is who's getting bet down on the morning line. If you are someone who feels like you look at morning lines sometimes and they're off and you always know the horse that's going to get bet down from 6 to 1 to 5 to 2 or from 10 to 1 to 2 to 1, you know, whatever it is, you you find those horses, you always say, ah, oh, this horse is, is going to be way shorter because I do that quite a bit. And, and so a lot of times, and, and we have to be able to be to do that as a gambler because if we see a horse that's 10 to 1 in our head, we can't go, oh, great, they're going to be 10 to 1. If we know they're going to be 4 to 1, that that's how you – you have to make your own line. So in, if you're in your head, if they're if they're a four to one shot, and you see them up there, that that's what's great about this game. You're you're finding inefficiencies. You're using strategy. Hey, you can play, you know, in a completely different way and win. Completely different to what I said, but uh, you'll you'll learn your own strategies here and there. And I'm always happy to help you. Stable duel. Next week we'll do a little uh, a little. Lineup analysis again, where we break down one of the lineups and we build it. This week we got the show out a little bit early, so we uh, we're, we didn't have um, you know the the Saturday like races out, but you can get an idea of who we like based on Saturday Woodbine stuff and, and throw them in your your stable dual lineups. The Dodgers have played fifty games of the sixty. They're thirty five and fifteen right now. There is two weeks left in the baseball season before the playoffs begin, so we are literally now looking at the playoff. Seedings, what it's going to be like Because remember, it's a different baseball playoff Setup this year Top 8 teams from each league make it In a best of 3 series In round 1, so can you imagine if you're You know, I'm, I'm a Dodger fan How scary is that round 1 When it's a best of 3, you're going to be playing a team Like right now for the Dodgers, it would be the Reds Who have good pitching Could the Reds win game 1 And then all of a sudden, you're the Dodgers And you're going, we could be done tomorrow 2 games this season's a little bit different because it's a shortened baseball season, so I understand what why they have to do this. If they ever want to keep this expanded playoff format for future seasons, which is something that Rob Manfred has said, they have to make the first round at least a, a best of five series. You can't have a baseball season that's 162 games, and you could be a team that wins 100 games and you lose two and you're out. It, it just can't happen. You have to have baseball's 
a season that's longer. In a shorter season, shorter playoff series are fine. They're scary as hell. But uh, I just hope this is something that if they keep it, they got to expand it to five. So right now in the in the National League, the Dodgers are the number one seed. They're 35 and 15. They are the first team to clinch a playoff spot. They are in the playoffs no matter what. They can lose their last 10 games. The Reds are the eighth seed right now. So the Dodgers would play the Reds. They are hot. They've won five in a row. They're 25 and 26, still a game under 500. But they are just sliding into the eighth spot right now. With the Cardinals as the number 9 seed and the Brewers as the number 10. The Cardinals are, are mere percentage points behind the Reds. The Brewers are a game behind, game out of the uh, the wild card spot. The 2 seed in the National League is the Cubs. They're 30-20. and 20. They've won 4 in a row. They would play the 7 seeded San Francisco Giants, who are 500. They're 24-24. and 24. Number 3 seed is the Braves, 29-21. and 21. The 6 seed right now is the Philadelphia Phillies. They are 24-24. And then the 4-5 matchup would be the San Diego Padres and the Miami Marlins as the 5 seed. They are 25-23. and 23. Padres are 32-19. and 19. They actually have the second best record in the National League, only behind the Dodgers. But because they're second in the division, the best that they can be seeded is the fourth spot. Um, so, you know, they have to be placed behind the other division winners. Over in the American League, the White Sox are on top right now. They have the best record in the American League. 32 and 17. They are 8 and 2 in their last 10. And if they got the one seed, they would be playing the Houston Astros, who are the number 8 spot. 24 and 25, 3 and 7 in their last 10. The Rays are currently number 2. They're 31 and 18. They would be playing the Indians, who are ice cold right now. They're 26 and 23. They have lost 8 in a row. 3 seed is the Oakland A's, 31 and 19. And the 6 seed is the Toronto Blue Jays, 26 and 22. That would be the matchup, the 3 6 matchup there. On the American League side. And then the Twins, they're 31 and 20. The Yankees are 28 and 21. Twins fans do not want to see this matchup. They do not want the Yankees to be a five and have to play the Twins there in a four or five or vice versa in a four or five. So Twins are hoping to either improve out of this spot or drop and face anybody else because they struggle with the Yankees repeatedly in the playoffs. Yanks have won seven in a row. Those are your current. Playoff brackets in baseball. You can play fantasy baseball, daily fantasy baseball over at Thrive Fantasy. You can play football, basketball, PGA, League of Legends, everything, contests for everything. And instead of the traditional salary cap format, you build your lineup around a list of prop bets. Do you look and play a lot of props, individual player props, over unders, totals, all sorts of things to look at? The You can play in lineups for Five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, all the way up to a thousand. The big contests they have are generally twenty, twenty-five dollar contests where you're gonna be playing for thousands of dollars in prizes. And now with football season here, there are tons and tons of op- options for you each football season. Like Thursday night, there's a one for the Thursday night game. Then you have ones for, you know, Sunday, different options on Sunday or touchdowns only. Then you have Sunday night, Monday, all sorts. And with the promo code GINO. You deposit $20, you get an instant $20 bonus credit right into your account. Thrive Fantasy. Let's let's take a look at what's on the schedule for Thrive Fantasy coming up just this weekend. Week 2 contest, Thursday night contest. You probably won't be hearing this before the Thursday night one. But the big one for Sunday, $15,000 in prizes, $25 entry. There's a $7,500 contest. That's a $20 entry for touchdowns only. You can play in tons of different 
setups, formats, head-to-heads, small groups, or the big contest. That that's where you'll always find me. Like that big $25 entry contest on Sunday, $15,000 in prizes. There are tons of times where the contests aren't filled. So you're in a contest where you're not even playing against as many people um, as would fill up a contest. So you get the opportunity to have a lineup that's not even that great that'll win. Check out Thrive Fantasy promo code G-I-N-O. Gets, gets you 20 right in your account when you deposit 20. G-I-N-O, deposit 20, instant 20, boom. You're in and, and you're, you're messing around in all these contests. If you have any questions about Thrive Fantasy, just let me know. Okay, on to NBA. Eric comes on with us at ETOFT21 Sports. First, we talk about the NBA. He was one who came on this show and said he thought the Clippers could be defeated by the Nuggets. One of the few people out there you see talking about that. So we discuss that. We discuss what happened with the Clippers Nuggets. We talk a little bit about the uh, Miami-Boston series and about 15-20 minutes of basketball talk. And then we spend about uh, 40 minutes or so talking Everything week two NFL. We go through all of the games on Sunday and on Monday. We give you the point spreads, totals, the key numbers for us to look at, games that were already played that we've already played, and games that we might be waiting for the line to move uh, one way or the other. So kick back and enjoy. First, it's basketball, and then it is NFL with Eric. Week two of the NFL back as a frequent guest. On that's what G said. Etoff twenty one sports, Eric. But Eric, I gotta give you a little a little shout out and a little praise, and we can uh, we can kind of wrap for a minute or two on the NBA because you and I, the last few times we talked, we discussed the NBA. I think right before the bubble restart, and we talked again in the middle of the playoffs. And you recently were very high on Denver's chances of beating the Clippers, and I gotta say, this is not. This wasn't like a sneaky hot take. This wasn't something you saw or you heard from any other analysts or on any mainstream shows out there. I didn't know anybody that was predicting a Denver win or even thinking the series would go seven or even thinking Denver had a shot against the Clippers. You did. And you called your shot on this show a few weeks ago, man. Congrats on that. Thanks, man. Thanks. You know, I mean, I look at this Denver team, especially Jokic, and I've don't hear this comparison. He's basically this age's Larry Bird. Yep. I mean, what he did last night was he realized he needed to get everyone else involved, and he just facilitated. I mean, he's he was so... a force and stuff, and he's so smooth. And I started noticing this in the Dallas series. Everyone talks about how good George and Leonard are defensively. Why weren't they checking Luca? And then when Murray was getting his last night, why weren't they? Where were they? Murray? You know Where what I mean. Where are they and Beverly? You, you talk. They talked about so many guys. They thought they said we could throw Morris at people too. Sham it. You know they they thought they had so many options. And that was the one thing that we we you know I'm I'm obviously a big Laker fan, and I thought the Clippers were as good to me. You know it was a group of three or four that I thought had the best opportunity to win this year, and the Clippers were were no doubt in that group and and probably the deepest best roster. The one thing that just rubbed me the wrong way, and we're hearing a lot of it now afterwards, was they really acted 
and carried themselves like a team that had already won two or three titles, you know, with all the load management, not really taking the regular season seriously. The way they talked, they always talked about, oh, when we get a full team, when we have everybody together or our upside or when we turn it on. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, the Warriors after a couple years are allowed to say, or the Lakers after winning two titles, which like teams that have been there and done it over and over. And besides Kawhi, nobody on this Clipper team has ever been there and done it. And, I mean, you made a great point with what you just said. There's no leadership on that team at all. I mean, the main thing that stuck out to me is, like, at the beginning of this bubble, I've had nothing but but praise for um, Kyle Lowry. In my eyes, this just makes me elevate Lowry. Mm -hmm. And and the the Raptors all together, right? That whole team last year. Even more. And, like... Leonard even said afterwards, this team needs a higher IQ. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. him basically calling out Doc without calling out Doc. And um, I'm really good friends with this guy. He's an NBA exec. And I I sent him a text message during the game about Lou Williams. And his reply was, the worst thing they did for Lou was sign Morris Jackson. Mm Because all those guys did was cut into his shots. Yep. And then if Lou's not getting his shots, he just becomes totally disengaged. And and, and he's a, it's someone that they just attack on the on yeah. the defense. They just go right after him over and over and over. And they try to get a switch to you know they scream. They 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 try to get a switch. So it's Murray on Lou. And you you know you can't. And then then unfortunately too is another thing that what we we. What we do see in the NBA and what we do see in in series, I guess in baseball it happens too, and, and in hockey, but in in the sports where there it's it's a series, you don't quite see it as much in football. Anybody can kind of beat anybody in one game, and it's not that crazy. But in a long series, your weaknesses always come out, yeah. e- even if it's for one game or if you lose a bunch, whatever it's going to be, whatever your weaknesses are, they're going to show themselves at some point. And all of the weaknesses that we the, we didn't think that the Clippers had many, they had a few, but they all came up. They didn't have a lot of bigs. That was the thing they all year long. Yeah, they, they couldn't they, rebound. It was Zubat and 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 Harrell, and they mm-hmm. they didn't really have any other bigs. So that was the thing. As a Laker fan, we I was always wondering when the Clippers were and the Clipper fans, everybody were so confident about the the Clippers getting there, beating the Lakers, and I wondered how they would match up with teams that had a good big like this. At least with the Lakers, win or lose against Denver, what's nice is you look at the way that the Lakers kind of set up. Jokic, they have three bodies they can throw at him. They, they can throw, throw guys at him. Yeah. M- McGee, Howard, and then obviously late in the game, I'm sure it's going to be Anthony Davis guarding him. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what's nice. They have three guys bigger than, or probably as ca- capable as though just the one that the Clippers had was Zubats, who's just sort of kind of like been. been it's like picking up heavy minutes now. He was a guy who was only playing like 10, 15 minutes a lot of the time. Yep. And now he, he had to play 30. So it was, you know, Doc, this is Doc's been there now. You know, Eric, this is the third time Doc's had a team where they were up 3 1 and they lost. He's also had three other teams where they were up 3 2 in a series and they lost. And, you know, we, we want to. We want to rip the Clippers because I think you, you should. We also got to give some, some credit to Denver, but I don't know if I've ever seen a team. Where it like the moment you saw it so visibly, you see it happen to a player or two now and then. Mm-hmm. I think I see it in baseball, like in in the playoffs. Sometimes you see hitters get picked on over and over when and pitchers can just figure out that they they can't hit the inside curveball, whatever it is, you know, and they just go after them over and over. And last night in that fourth quarter, 
the first six or seven minutes when the Clippers didn't score a basket and and Paul George is throwing balls off the side of the backboard and and Kawhi is just missing the shots that he's always made. It was it was one of the crazier things I've ever seen in sports. I mean, the thing with George, it's like in my eyes, what makes George good is he's six foot nine in his mid-range game, and that totally was non-existent. Mm-hmm. He relied on the threes too much, and then in with Leonard, Leonard's like he would he tries to get his, and if a player happens to cut or someone say snags off. He'll he'll dish. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not like he looks to facilitate. He's not a playmaker. No, like and that's, that's a that's a and, skill that he's acquired yeah. in his last few years. You know, but that's not like his his go to. He's a go to yeah. scorer and, and defensive player, and he's sort of lost a little on the defensive end. Like and, you said, he physically kind of can't go both ways as much as he used to. Yeah, I mean, like if I'm the Clippers, like I mean, you look, you got a the free agent market for point guards. I mean, Goran's coming up, but I mean, I just don't know if they'll be able to afford him and everybody else. But the fact that this team needs a point guard, wasn't more evident last night. Mm -hmm. They need someone to facilitate and they just don't have that. No true. Like you said, no true facilitator ball handler, which is funny because that was a um, kind of a complaint about the Lakers all year long. They only have LeBron. We've seen Rondo help out a little bit in the last few games, but at least they have like, like a Caruso isn't a facilitator, but he can give you a few minutes where he can sort of just bring the ball up and and get a cu- get get a couple guys the the ball. The Clippers don't even like Beverly's not even really that. You know, he's a three and D guy. He's not even going to really bring the ball up and get you set there. That's not really sham it. He's more of a three point shooter, and he can play yeah. some pretty good D. You're right. It just and even you know Paul George and Kawhi, they're going to handle the ball most of the time, but they're not true. They're they're wings. You know, they're not true ball handlers They're very good, skilled, you know, wings that can handle the ball But they're not your point guard And, and they and even Lou Williams, he checks score off the bench Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned Paul George before His closeout games, his last four closeout games 5 for 21, 2 for 16 Dame hitting that three-pointer to win it And then last night, 4 16 I mean, this guy's showing that he's just not a clutch shooter like he just can't deliver in the clutch. And I mean, and everyone talks about Giannis leaving, Giannis leaving, Giannis leaving. No one's talking how Kawhi can opt out after next year. I remember when you know what I mean? Like like, he he could, and they gave up so much to bring in Paul George. Oklahoma city basically is in charge of the Clippers draft picks for the next five years. Um, Mm -hmm. They've got control of them and they can pick swap with them or they've got the pick. And it, and you know, we, we we heard a, a lot about how the Clippers were going to be a team without with Kawhi leading them. There's no drama. Anytime there's a LeBron team, there's all this drama that follows him. All eyes are on LeBron. You get all this. People start talking. The team does this. Well, it's just funny. This year's Lakers team, and you know, as a fan of a team, you follow everything that's going on. There was not one incident with any players on the team. They liked each other. They weren't ever talking smack. You didn't hear in the last three weeks, we heard Pat Beverly talk trash about Jokic and Doncic after a game. We heard Paul George for some reason bring up James Harden and rip him for no reason. And, you know, say, I'm not some Harden guy who just is on offense. What the hell does James Harden have to do with you? You're not even yeah. playing. Like, 
What what are you saying that about? We heard Montrell uh, Montrez call Luca a bitch or bitch ass white boy. You know, yeah. we had Morris, who is one of the cheaper players in the league. But, you know, and so this Clippers team that everybody really liked when they got put together at the beginning of the year. You know, just listening to to Windhorse, he, he did a podcast. Um, we're recording this on Wednesday. He did a podcast on Tuesday night, not long after the game. He had said he was getting messages right after from a lot of players, execs. Um, coaches that were very happy They said hey we don't like the way these Clippers Carried themselves over over this last year They just automatically thought they they Were the team they thought they were going to have To just t- turn it on and, and there was No process that that they were so much Better than everybody else and and they rubbed A lot of people the wrong way and I mean You hit two great heads I mean you can say Two great points excuse me about LeBron, Of what you were saying LeBron's a great leader I mean he will Get in your face and when you look at Kawhi, he played at the with San Antonio, Parker, Ginobili, Duncan, Hall of Famers. He played last year with Lowry, who in my eyes right now, if I'm an executive and I need a point guard, that's who I want on my team. And even I mean, even in Lowry's great, no, and even, yeah. even more than that, needs. you got like Masai. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, their whole organization feels like it's a good, well-run organization in Toronto that trickles down. And then yeah. you got Lowry, who exactly he's going to get right up in your grill. He's going to hold he you accountable. Up. Yeah, it, even is a good coach too. And it docks. I don't know if docks really like that. You know, even he's like, at the, the end of game six where there was like less than a second left. Lowry wanted to inbound the ball to win the game. Nurse called a timeout. Lowry got in Nurse's face. He's like, yep. "Dude, what are you doing? We could have won the game." <laughs> and but yep. there's like. Who's that guy in the Clippers? You know what I mean? Like Leonard's just kind of there, just kind of doing his thing, not he, being vocal. He leads by example, yeah. exactly. But you need another. It's funny, even even like on the Lakers. Let's say they didn't have a LeBron there. Davis will talk a little, but like a Jared Dudley. You know, he's someone who literally will go up to anybody and tell him what the hell to do just because he's been there and people respect him. And he's not even someone that gets any minutes. It's yeah. for a team, a team that was so deep. And so veteran, and that so many guys that we thought were going to be there, it just um, it, it cracked. I mean, a week ago they're up three to one. Yeah, and, and no, made, go ahead. You, yeah, yeah. You made a good point though about like how the way the Clippers carry themselves. Like I saw this thing on Twitter about how everyone was like, "Oh, they were out of shape." Blah blah. Everything you mentioned, Rondo. Rondo looks better now than he did during the season, shape wise, like cardiovascular wise. There was Mello, a, uh, same thing. Gary Harris, same thing. All these guys came back in shape. If you want to win a championship, junior, he yeah. looks better. Like all these guys. They, they, there was a story about Rondo that said that the, the when he was cleared to be able to come back to practice, he he the, the guys on the Lakers all have a group chat, a text chat, and mm-hmm. he laid out his clothes for practice like a kid would do for their first, like a parent would do for their kid, like the first day of school. And he yeah. took a picture, you know, and he sent it to the group chat. He was so excited. He had been waiting and training and just wanted to be able to get back out on the floor. And he he'd been bad a lot of the year, but damn, he was able to flip the switch and be be playoff Rondo. So now we're down to the final four. We got Lakers, Denver, and I mean, this is this was a year for the Clippers where. And now it's a year for all of these teams. It, w- it was a year that we knew was going to be wide open because we we've never seen any of these groups that are currently together make a title run, and mm-hmm. and so we just didn't really know which one was going to step up. Everybody uh, sort of assumed it was the Clippers, and that was I will never forget. I'm sure so many people are watching that game like I was, and just assuming at some point they were going to turn it around and go on a run. 
And you could just see when, when Murray had that second quarter The Clippers were up by 12 And then Murray just goes ballistic Towards the end of the first half And all of a sudden it's a really tight game You could see the Clippers get nervous again And it was, I think that, that was it right there they, they just had no life in the second half They just put some scoreboard pressure on them And then they started pressing Guys got nervous And you got arguably the best center In the mm-hmm. game Who is going to facilitate You got you got defenders that can hit in Harris, Grant, and you got Murray, who's like everybody is just realizing. And Calipari, when he got drafted, so this guy's going to be one of the top players in the league. If, if, like I said it last time I was on, if Murray played like in LA here in Chicago or like Miami, New York, a bigger market, this guy would be like the lead night in and night out on ESPN, but he's not because he plays in Denver, which is a mm-hmm. smaller city. I mean, and- this kid is good as hell. What he's done in this playoff run is going to be looked back and talked about for a long time. It is not just some uh, some player having a nice run. He has been incredible. He did it with the the fifty point barrage a couple against Utah when they were down, and, and now he did it against the Clippers team that was the the favorite, the betting favorite to win the whole thing. And now, I mean. If if he were able to get through the Lakers and Murray and, and Jokic get there, talk about earning it. Talk about being down three one and coming back three uh, one again and coming back yeah. and and we'll see as this series is going to open up on Friday and uh, and yeah we're down to the final four. We also had a great uh, start on the East with a, a real tight late game that went to Miami with that incredible block by uh, how do you not Bam. go up with two hands there? How oh, do you not God. go up with two hands? And then Boston. I mean, it was a great play, but when you look at it, Boston gave up 35 in the fourth quarter, which you cannot do in a playoff game. And they're like, last four possessions, it was all Kemba or Tatum going one-on-one with absolutely zero ball movement. You had no ball movement, awful jump shots going late in the clock. I mean, I was on Boston minus one and a half, and they, they deserve to lose that game. They, with that they, you can When you watch them, they do become sort of a tale of two teams in the first and the second half Because you said they move the ball so well in the first half And then you're getting Marcus Smart When Marcus Smart's hitting his threes, it's like when Rondo and Caruso on the Lakers are You just, if you're the other team, you're just like, uh-oh, we're in yeah. trouble Because you, you, this guy's not gonna, normally going to be just a sniper from the three-point line And then they get very stagnant late They get into a lot of, it. Tatum's wow. awesome but when it's it's too much of Tatum and it becomes too predictable, they're able to defend him. And Tatum, sort of like you said with Kawhi, Tatum's becoming a better playmaker. That's just not his thing, though. He's more of a scorer. He can he'll he'll hit a cutter or he'll make a, a good read. But it's hard for him to go out of his way to find someone, you know, or to find the right open or make a great great pass. And and so yeah, we got we got a couple uh, fun series coming up. We'll see what happens in the East, but. We are going to talk about NFL Week Two. So um, Week One, man. I mean, it, there's nothing like we, you know, we we love all sports. There is just nothing like though that NFL Sunday, especially the first Sunday. We haven't had you know a, a full slate in a while, and with all the fantasy stuff going on, the daily fantasy, the betting, and then the personal rooting interest that everyone has. I mean, there's so much action. It's unlike anything else. Oh, it was great. I mean, I get up early as is, but I was up like. I was up like at 3.45 a.m. That's how excited <laughs> I was. Excited. Like, yeah, I, mean, I had like my spreadsheets out, for, like building my fantasy teams, like like locking everything in. And like for the first three quarters with my Lions up 23 to 6, I was on cloud nine. And then <laughs> yeah. the 
the tenth time for Matty P losing a fourth quarter lead happened. So and it was almost eerie, eerily similar to last year's opening game when they they tied uh, Arizona after the big lead early and things won't go wrong in many cases when you you blow a lead like that and it comes down to the rookie running back Swift who just got the ball wide open in the end zone that would have won the game and he drops it and that's unfortunate because that's the first thing. For uh, a kid who comes in And you're hoping that can be a big part of your Franchise and your offense for years to come That's going to be one of the first thing people Remember for a while now until he's able to Have a couple big games and sort of redeem himself Yeah and but I mean Like that's his first drop and yep. I mean that's why like you and I have talked before Like that's why it's important like after To like watch the games mm-hmm. I mean the, the fact he was in there in that situation Plus he was in there in goal line Situations that shows you how much The Lions think of him and the it's great not like thing he's of, a kicker that yeah, misses a kick. Yeah. He's gonna get reps and reps yeah. and reps. You're not, you know what I mean. This yeah. guy, like you said, it just sucks that that happened to be one of the first big moments of uh, yeah. of his career. And uh, and the Lions go down um, in week one. But we're gonna get to the Lions in a minute. We're gonna yeah. start with we're gonna we're recording this Wednesday evening. It'll probably be out middle of Thursday. So I'm not gonna chance uh, the Thursday stuff. We're not gonna talk about the Thursday night game. But we will talk about everything uh, afterwards. And we're gonna start with Carolina. At Tampa so two teams that lost In week one Carolina ugh, That play at the play call at the end Of the game I just I don't like When it's fourth and inches and you don't even have Your best player involved in the play in some Way shape or form with CMC there And then we had Tampa who they They played a, they ran into a good team the Saints Are always going to be one of the best teams in the league uh, they, they perennially are and Tampa with Brady there and some new Pieces it wasn't absurd To see them be a little off in spots Brady still had some good throws he looked Old in some other spots so Carolina At Tampa the line currently is Tampa Minus eight and a half over under is 48 and a half here oh, what do you think about this Game I mean for me You're right I can't get over that play call I cannot get over that oh, play call gosh. I mean a I'm thinking Put Bridgewater under center and just Freaking sneak it, sneak it. have the Have the fullback push him. Or give the ball. You want to give the ball to your playmakers. You're 100%. This Panthers defense is really poor. Terrible. I mean, they're really poor. And I don't know after game one, are they as poor as they showed or is Oakland's O-line as good as they show? Bucks defense is pretty good. They've held CMC in check the two times they played him last year. And even if you look, watch the game, it was the short field that allowed the Saints to score. It wasn't like the Saints were going up and down the field on this Bucks defense. So I love the Bucks defense in terms of daily fantasy this week. Um, but I mean, the line opened up at seven and a half. It's drifted all the way up to eight and a half. One thing I've noticed in the time I've been doing this, when sports books open up a line at seven and a half, they're trying to do that to get money on the team getting the seven and a half because the the mm-hmm. recreational better will assume, oh, I'm getting a touchdown. Extra half point. You this know? is a good one. Yep. Yep. So I mean for me, this game is going to be a total stay away if it's mm-hmm. a high-scoring first half, and like I can get a twenty-four for the second half. I'll look for that, but I mean, I'm I wouldn't bet this game at all. Yeah, the number that I looked at was was forty-eight. If I could find a forty-eight on the over/under, forty-seven and a half would be great. It's up to forty-eight and a half now, and I would I would maybe go over just because I, I think. Tampa's school will score. I think you said Carolina's defense is atrocious. I think Tampa will be able to clean things up a little bit this week. And I could see Carolina just getting some garbage time in there and this thing getting over the 47 and a half to 48. At 48 and a half, I don't like that number. I'll look around for a, a better number if I can get. That would probably be the side. But I, I, yeah, I don't really have a side in, in, in this one. 
Um, game number two, Jacksonville at Tennessee, two teams who won in week one. And hey, I mean, a lot of people assumed that the Jags were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. People thought they might be an 0 16 team. In this game, the Titans are currently a nine point favorite. Over under in this game is 43. Jacksonville at Titans. Minshew Mania. You know what? I'll say this, Eric. I've seen and you've seen, we've seen bad, incompetent quarterbacks. People who can't, who just don't belong in the NFL. They didn't make the transition. I'll tell you this: this guy Minshew is not a franchise quarterback. He's probably not a guy you're going to win the Super Bowl with starting. But if if he's a fill in for you or a stopgap, this guy's exciting. He can move the ball. He's got really good accuracy. He threw a hell of a lot in college, so he's he's very very you know very pinpoint. And he's got, he can move the ball with his legs, and it's he's one of those guys. It's kind of like a folk hero character. It seems like teammates and coaches really like him, and they he sort of picks his team up. Now I don't know this isn't. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team or anything. But I, I'm I was I had fun seeing them win their first game because they're just. They're a team. I'm sure we're hearing and reading in the clips all throughout the the off season. We're not. They're not going to win a game. They're going to lose every single game. And and you know people are human. They see that stuff. They come out a little bit pumped up. Yeah, I mean they played, especially their line played way better than I thought they would. I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw from the Jaguars in terms of the in between the tackles on the offensive side. Um, in terms of the Titans, like that game, it oh wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't good defense. It was just, excuse my language, shitty offense on both sides of the football. And and poor coaching in yeah. a lot of cases too. And, from Fangio yeah. you know, oh, multiple God. times. I mean, at the end of the game, when they get the ball, Denver's got the ball with a chance to run it out. And I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, continue to add on, but they throw the ball and they give it immediately. Yeah. I think they take 40 seconds off the clock and they give it immediately back to Tennessee. Then Tennessee, their issues with the kicking were, you know, just <laughs> sort of laughable all throughout. You knew it was going to come down to a point where Goskowski was going to have to uh, redeem himself and, and he ended up doing it. But yeah, that was just, that was just those Monday night. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I wasn't impressed with either team. So I, I, I don't, I don't love anyone in this spot. I, this is a, probably another stay away game for me. I mean, um, do you have a, a spot you like? You, you, what do you waiting, prefer in here? Like for me in a game like this, I'm gonna see what the first half is. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I bet a lot of first half stuff. That's just the way I am. I bet some game stuff, but it. My eyes, if you can get a number that's inflated and you can look to the first half. I mean, the line opened up at 11. Like if you can get. Six or higher. I mean, it's worth a look because Tennessee's offense isn't built to blow you away. No, nope. they're going to grind you with Henry, set up a little play action to Smith working the seam. Um, and their offensive line, it's not as good as last year's. No, nope. so they're not. The offense just isn't as good. Their defense, they, they've got some secondary not, issues yeah, right now, too. I mean? It's just not that mm-hmm. good. So mm-hmm. I mean, if you can get an inflated number of the first half, it's worth it. But, I mean, the line opened at 11, and everyone hit it. Now it's down to 9. So, I mean, yeah. for game-wise, I'd stay away. Yeah, same same here. Um, but just, like, yeah, Jacksonville's a team that you, as for a bad team, I don't mind when they're on one of my TV screens. You know, when I'm, when I'm watching. Like, 
Yeah, I always yeah. laugh. I I sort of root for me, especially when I'm not betting against them. I and I had them when a, in a struggling week. That were one of my uh, couple winners last week. So we get to the third game: uh, the Giants at the Bears. The Bears are a five and a half point favorite. Over under in this game is forty two and a half. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Lions um, before we got into the games. Your Lions and. I don't know, you know, when you see a team like the Bears and you look at the way what happened with with the Lions, was it the Bears coming back? Was it the Lions collapsing? Was it some combination of the two? And then you look at the Giants. Man, they had that drive. They were playing pretty well early and they couldn't run the ball at all, but they were moving the ball nicely. They had that incredible drive where they just drive all the way down. Daniel Dimes is making great plays, great decisions. He's not forcing anything. And then they get to they get to the four yard line, and he throws that just awful, awful pick, and that changed the complexion of a game that might not have been. You know, you look at the score, and it was a little closer than that because that's such a huge turning point, a huge swing in that game. I just with the Giants, it's do you trust that they're not going to, or he's not going to make a mistake like that? A, a lot of the time, it's it's hard to gauge. Where do you stand on this Giants Bears game? I mean, game? like when. When I came on and we did the uh, schedule preview, I, may, I I said the word situation all the time. And this is like one of those situations I'm talking about. Yep. You have a team like the Giants who, in my eyes, that game came down to three plays. The touchdown mm-hmm. at the end of the first half when the Washington should have been stopped short, but he wasn't. The touchdown, they should, the Danny Dimes rolling out to his left, throwing across his body, INT. And then there was a play where there was a fumble and there's like, Yep. It seemed like the whole Giants defense was around it and just Juju Smith and somehow, somehow. Juju got it. It's like five so I mean, like, right by the sideline yeah. and it was right after the pick, right? Uh-huh. I think it was the pick happened and then Pittsburgh's driving and it feels like, oh, the Giants are about to get the ball back. This like never happens. Normally the momentum swings and the team immediately goes and score and then we look up and the Giants don't get the ball and Juju's actually at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. I mean, like for me, this is one of those perfect situations. And plus also, I. I had a friend, like we don't, we felt a friendship, but he used to be a bookie and he met, he had this big thing of five. He'd always say, he goes, look, he goes, when a team's getting five, always take the team getting five, five or five and a half. That's what he would tell me. He goes, look, he goes, I lay that out there because I want the team. That's the favorite to be drawn money to them. So I'm going to sit back, but I'm definitely interested in the giants in this game. Just because I think the Bears are insanely overvalued. And there's certain teams in the NFL that get overbet. Packers, Steelers, Bears, and Cowboys. So I'm going to kind of sit back, see if this line can inflate a little bit. But I'm definitely intrigued by this Giants team right now. I feel sort of how you were. I'm on the Giants side of this game. I just was not high on the Bears coming into this year. Some of the we get the week one overreactions are are some of the the best to bet back on week two. And this is is this is one of those that I actually I had circled also, especially if it floats up another to something like six. Six and a half. That would be very nice yeah. to 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 get a little extra here too. So um, we move to game number four: Falcons at the Cowboys. So two teams who uh, who lost week one, but the Cowboys are a four and a half point favorite in here. Over under is fifty two and a half. They were on the wrong side of a, a a pretty questionable offensive pass interference call late in the game that helped the Rams secure the win. The Falcons. Sort of got beat up a little bit uh, by the by Seattle, but the Falcons are always going to be able to score. We know that um, over under in this game is one of the higher ones. Uh, I think actually the highest one of the week at fifty two and a half. Where do you stand on this game? I mean, for me, in terms of DFS, this is the game I'm definitely going to be attacking. 
Falcons had 500 yards of total offense and still somehow lost. Their defense yeah. is awful. I mean, the league you and I are in, I went heavy Falcons just because the, I you, do you tie? I somehow tied. I don't know I if I've since tied. they've went to PPR, I might have seen two. This might be the third tie since they've done the PPR and points because it used to just be, you know, 10 points yeah. or 12 or whatever. Now you get the, the decimals. That, that is unbelievable I that you tied. I could, tied. And you somehow had a big tied. score, too. You had a, a, oh, yeah. one of the higher, I think, three top three or four scores in the league, higher than and I, I did. Going, yeah. I, I was going against Jacobs, too. Like, I mean, it's just, it was just one of those things. But I mean, like, <laughs> I have Ryan. Jones and Gurley I have Gurley too so I have like I have three Falcons on my team just because I think This defense is awful and they're going to be In a high scoring game Every week mm-hmm. um, It's important to remember though that Quinn is 5-1 and one Coaching against McCarthy And somehow McCarthy made this offense Which everyone is was raving about In the offseason look more bland Than Garrett and, did, and I mean, did Garrett actually looked decent for the Giants Getting, yeah. getting them to they couldn't run the ball, but he, they were still able to move the ball early. Like we said, if he if he doesn't throw that pick, that whole game could have been different. Oh yeah, and like the defense for the Cowboys was awful. I mean, no offense to your boys, but they got 422 yards, 53 percent conversion rate on third down. I mean, everyone was hyping this Cowboys team up as this huge Super Bowl contender, and I I I didn't see that at all. I saw a team that was going to struggle. To make the playoffs, I mean the line. The line opened at seven. If I if I could have got the Falcons at seven, I would have loved it. Right now, at all my books, it's four and a half. I mean, if the Cowboys go early, which I'm sure they will, because the Falcons' defense is awful, a live bet on the Falcons would totally make sense if you get a touchdown or higher. So for me, I'm just going to sit back. I mean, this is this game is live betting written all over it for me. Yeah, on on this number at four and a half, I'm definitely would lean towards the Cowboys, but I was not confident as someone who, I guess the positive for the Cowboys is that you look around in the division and okay, Washington looked good, but they beat the Eagles, who is generally your other big competition, and the Giants are still probably a year away. So if you're the Cowboys, it could be another situation where you you just might be sort of the best of the worst, you know, or one of yeah. one of especially, and you got the extra um, playoff team this year getting in the mix. So yeah, I mean, I, this is a game that I. At four and a half, at like anything under six, I would lean towards the Cowboys. Like you said, if it was up at seven, I would I would like taking the Falcons, and they're gonna score a lot of points. That's just that's a lot. But do what Eric said. If you're playing DFS, or if you're thinking about you know who to start, and maybe a, someone that you have to figure out between starting or sitting or on your bench for fantasy, I would lean towards players in this game. At the very least, with the Falcons, you always get some great garbage time. They're oh, always yeah. good for like two garbage time <laughs> touchdowns. And that's why, like, live betting the Falcons I love just because they're always going to make it close. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to get down, and then you can get an inflated, oh, plus 10.5. So, I mean, live betting now, like, how everyone offers that, that's such a great tool and something I love doing. Let's especially get to if you miss the, num- the, the number. Yeah, especially if it's just, you, you got to have, and this is what, in, in, in anything that you're wagering, you got to have your line where you draw the line. You can't let these numbers go two, three points. And wait to bet them to get on the wrong side of the number. Be betting a lot of things on late Saturday night or early Sunday morning, and and unless you're waiting, unless you played it early and you're waiting for the number to go the other like your way, yeah. you know, you got to just be a little smart. So sometimes there's too many of us out there that just want we want to get the action in, and we don't. Oh, you know what, seven to eight or eight and a half, not that big a deal. Yeah, be be careful, especially with those key numbers. 
Let's get to the game five Lions at the Packers Packers are a six point favorite now It's uh, over under about 49 So I mean the Lions they, they struggled in week one And then you have the Packers who looked really good In week one Lions were cruising And then they just fell apart late Still had opportunities to win with the drop And one of those things where You know if if they win This is probably a little bit shorter Right Yep Yep. I mean this is like another perfect situation Mm -hmm. Lions looking bad In everyone's eyes Packers an overbet team And the thing with the Vikings is This isn't the Vikings defense Of last year that we all remember I they think it was more rushing. the Vikings being yeah. bad and their defense yeah. and they're young. Their secondary yeah. is brand new. Yeah. And you have uh, Rodgers and a team that is not brand new. Right now in the COVID era and in this pandemic era, they're one of the teams that has all the same weapons. And, yeah. and while that later in the year might not be a great thing right now, they're going to be kind of clicking a little bit more while everybody else is still sort of figuring things out. Yeah, I mean... Vikings secondary is bad. Rodgers just picked that apart. Um, I mean, for me, Lions had three DBs that had hamstring injuries. I haven't read the injury report yet today, but um, I'm going to be looking to see if those guys went. And that's kind of the thing that's taking me back from investing in this game. But Packers, like I said, are that team that's going to be over bet. I mean, this line is going to creep up. There's going to be more value coming in. And like what you're talking about numbers, it's important to re- to understand that sharp money comes in when the line's first released and right before game time. In between that is usually public money. So I'm waiting for the public money to move the line in the Lions' favor, and then I'm going to be interested in the Lions because I think this is going to trick up come a Friday night or Saturday morning where I can get a six and a half or a seven on the Lions. Let's go. Yeah, this is this is more of a stay away for me because, like you said, it sets up. I actually thought the Packers like they looked good, and th- but watching their game back. They could have even pounded Minnesota more And like we said it's, I just I don't know if it was as much of The Packers looking great or a combination Of them being more of a veteran Team that's been around and Minnesota Being really really young and them just getting picked on So stay away here for me As we move to game number six This will be one of my couple plays um, Vikings at the Colts, Colts are minus three I just I just don't think the Vikings are that good I mean I, I looked at them The Colts are going to come home I think they're going to be a little bit frustrated That they they lost a game that they absolutely had circled As one of the gimme games of their of their season As an 8 point favorite um, I, I like the Colts here at 3 Anything under 3 obviously I don't want to go over 3 here The over under in here is 48 They Rivers has got to play a little bit better But now I, and I don't like the fact that Max hurt But it actually kind of gives them a little bit more um, a, a Kind of like assurance of what's going to happen in their backfield. It's going to be Taylor, and then it's going to be Hines. You know, as the, the to spell him, and, and they were good last year, uh, last week. Um, I'm going to lean here with the Colts. I just think they're the better team. I think they win this by like ten at home. I was so disappointed with this Colts team. I have me been too. nothing but raving. Me too. And the the thing that stuck out for me when I rewatched this was, I just kind of got a. Feel defensively that their pass rush was those guys weren't going hard because they felt they would just outscore them. As crazy as it sounds, I just kind of feel like the Colts are like, oh, we'll just we'll just outscore them. Like the defense wasn't giving an effort like I thought they would, and that's the thing that really upset me after how high I've been on this team. Um, Rivers is just a check down Charlie. Yeah. Hines is a huge DFS play. 
But I will say this. Um, I love Paris Campbell this week in DFS. I mean, I love this guy in DFS. And how I do it is I always build around four guys. He's going to be one of the four guys I build around. Just because that secondary is so young. young. Three, I definitely like the Colts just because the Vikings defense is awful. But I don't like how the Colts, they didn't even have no. combined rushes with their running backs. You have the best offensive line in the game. In the game. How are you not running the ball against that young defensive front? And I, it, it doesn't yeah. work. I, I, I didn't like anything I saw. But thinking about it afterwards and just seeing the way the, the Colts have genuinely, generally be, it's been a slow starting team the last few years. That, that's kind of how what been their MO. And so I, I'm just hoping to, I, a lot of these teams that they didn't come out, I'm going to give them a, a one. Th- this is one of the teams that I'm expecting just a ton more out of. And I'll, I'm willing to give them a week or two more to, to be that team than I hope they would be. And, and maybe one of the best teams in football because they sure as hell didn't look like it in week one. But I still think they're a lot better than this team. And they're only a three-point favorite. So we'll we'll see if they can pick on the Vikings uh, with, uh, with veteran Phil Rivers here. I'm going to lean Colts minus the three. And you made Game a seven. good point. Like, if you're high right now on the Colts, like I'm high. I already have my future bet in on the Colts. I got if they like won this one. game, if they won week one, this game would be seven. Yeah. Six or but seven. My, but my thing is this, like with how the betting market is now, and my friend made this point a couple years ago in college football, you can find value when a team is really down after week one. Mm-hmm. So right now the Colts, they're, I don't even know what they are. I haven't looked, but if you can get them at like over 30 to one for the Super Bowl. That's definitely a good play. Always the time to play right after the bad. It's just the way that, that gambling is. And because the the general public wants to do the opposite. They want to go against the team that just looked bad and you have to be able to dig. And that's what we do. You watch the, you watch all the games and you can find little things in each game. You know, that team didn't look as good as everybody thought, or that there was a, a few things that could have gone either way. We get to the Bills. At the Dolphins here, Bills are a six-point favorite on the road. Over under this game is 41. Bills won week one against the Jets team that we'll talk about next that they looked like one of the worst teams in the league. Dolphins, this is another game that I watched. New England played well. Cam looked good. There were a couple plays in this game that were big plays. One of them was actually against New England where they fumbled the ball into the end zone. But but two of the picks of Fitzpatrick, one, the very beginning, the, re, uh, the receiver slipped. And Romo even mentioned it It could have been a pass interference call And then the last one was also a a call That could have very easily been a penalty And those, you know, you change those Interceptions and you give Miami the ball They move the ball, they actually had more Yards per play than the Patriots In the first half I just, and the Bills Aren't a team that you think of scoring a ton So I don't know about, about The Bills being a six point favorite on the road um, this is a game where I would lean towards the Dolphins. It's not going to be a play I have quite yet. If I could get this game up to seven, then I would I would definitely lean towards the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean it opened at three and a half. It like you said, it's trading right now at six. To me, this Bills team, it they didn't. The Jets are not that good, and they Bills didn't look when I rewatched it that good. There was one play, I believe it was in the third quarter. John Brown was wide open in the end zone. Allen airmailed him by like eighteen feet. And when Allen is your leading rusher and he's averaging like four yards a carry, that just offensively really doesn't do anything for me. And like you said, I thought this Dolphins team, I thought they played way better than they thought they were. I thought their defense mm-hmm. looked actually pretty good. Yep. Offensively, they made some bad mistakes. 
And that's why you can get the value with just the people that bet on looking at the scores and the box mm-hmm. score and not actually watching the game. You're absolutely right. If this can trick up to seven, oh my God, I'm all in on the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Even at six, I'll probably bet the Dolphins. Yeah, if this this number, I will probably have a little on the Dolphins, and at seven, I would absolutely make it a play. And um, they, yeah, they just you know Fitzpatrick, he's a little bit inconsistent. They've got some pieces though. The, the Dolphins do like they have some skill position players. They're young, so they're going to be a little bit inconsistent. But you said the Bills are a little bit inconsistent. This this doesn't scare me all that much. We get to game eight, 49ers at the Jets. 49ers are a seven point favorite. Um, going on the road over under in this game is 42 and a half. We also found out today that Richard Sherman is on IR, which was sort of a surprise to some people. They didn't really, uh, you know, see or, or think there that he had uh, any ma- major injuries. It, it could only be a few weeks, but always a, a big blow there. But you know, you're you're going to play a team that I mean, after week one, if we're just talking about what we saw week one, they'd have to be considered the team that played the worst. Yeah, yeah, but also. If you look at the 49ers game, take away the broken clover coverage, Mozart 74-yard touchdown reception. That offense didn't look that good. And the play that got them down to take the lead in the fourth quarter, Garoppolo throwed into triple, co- triple coverage, and that DB from the Cardinals just made an – he tried to make an INT when it was going to go out of bounds anyway that led to the pass interference, which led to the uh, Jared McKinnon touchdown. If- so, I mean – it wasn't really like I wasn't really that impressed by this 49ers team. They're and, banged up. They yeah. don't they they still don't have their wide receivers back. Kittle was still a little bit banged up. They're they're very predictable right now. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, and go ahead, yeah. And then even on defense, they're missing DeForest Buckner. Mm-hmm. Ford and Armstead weren't beating people one on one. And then you and I talked after the draft, we weren't high on this Cardinals offensive line. So if you're not able to beat that level of competition, you know what I mean? Like and I, that offensive line, and then defensively too, you're not the the Cardinal. The Jets aren't some world beater on the defensive end, but the Cardinals are definitely not. They're not a team yeah. that that's going to be able to stop you. So if your receivers couldn't get open against them for Jimmy G, Jimmy G's not the kind of guy that's going to carry you. And if Kittle isn't able to get his separation, if he's not completely healthy, and then they're just trying to run the ball, they, you can stack the box against them. This line is at seven. At seven and a half to eight, I go. I go Jets. Yeah, I mean the line, the value is definitely on the Jets. You have a team traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast. I mean this this line screams take the Jets, and I'm like I said, I'm just gonna wait. I mean I. Yeah. I I like to wait right now just because if I like I said, if I can get the hook, I I would love it. Even this 42 and a half, I mean, that's kind of screaming a little bit of the underplay yep. for me, just because these offense aren't that good. And Bell's gone. Bell's out for three weeks. And you got Frank Gore. Is he even going to be able to like manage a full RB1 workload? And the, this could be like that game that San Francisco played last year against Washington. I remember it was like pouring and the yep. weather was really wet. It was snowing. It was real bad weather. And they both just ran the ball. Nobody even really tried to throw it that much. And they were just kind of, I could see these teams just schmozzing it up. And, and so if that, if it's a case, like you said, if it's a game that we think is going to go under and this line creeps to over seven in a game that we think is going to be a low scoring game, that feels like too many points. 
And I think the the 49ers are going to win this game. They're the much better team. You just, you wouldn't be shy. It's a Super Bowl hangover. You know, it's nothing, nothing shocking the first couple games of the year and you start to get things figured out, but they'll they'll win. I think I I just wouldn't be shocked if it was a, you know, a one possession game or a, a close game here as we move to game nine, the Rams minus one. Uh, over the Eagles, this line has moved quite a bit Over under in this game is 46 I think this might be another one that we talked about At least for me I'm a Rams fan um, I, I expected the Rams to play pretty well in week one uh, New stadium, I thought they'd be pumped up They um, they seem like a team that's that likes each other a lot They they they, they kind of cut a little bit of the fat In some of the, the contracts and, and around their roster but I don't like this spot for them at all. I like the Eagles here, especially if you're getting a point or if you're getting anything at all. I think the Eagles will bounce back. They're such an inconsistent team, and they look really bad at, late in the game. But they were up huge, and they just turned it off completely. Washington's defense, it, defensive front, is really good. I don't, I didn't love how Wentz looked late. That bothered me a, a little bit there. But they were missing a couple pieces like Philly always is. This is going to be one of my plays this week. I'm going to lean Philly if you're getting plus one, and I'm going to play them money line. Oh, I mean, you, all the value's gone. And like something as a better, you have to understand value. Like, why would you go to store X to buy Miller Lite for six bucks when store Y has it for three bucks? You yep. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the, all the value's gone on the Rams. All the value. I mean, if you like the Rams, you're going to have to wait to do something live or you're going to have to mm-hmm. wait to do something second half. All the values on the Eagles. And I always come on your show and I always talk about offensive line value and why that's the most important thing I value. I wasn't going to bet the game at all last week with the Eagles against the Washington football team. As soon as I saw the Eagles were losing two offensive linemen and I got that alert, I immediately took the plus five and a half and the money line just because that's how big offensive line are. Um, they're definitely going to get Lane Johnson back this week. Miles Sanders will be back. They are clicking, and they are con- they're going to be better this week than what yep. we saw. In terms of your Rams, um, I mean, that one guy in defense, he missed seven tackles that I caught. Kissler. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I liked, what McVay did at the beginning of the game, everything was just quick hitting. It's like the more you give golf to process by himself, worse the he is. worse he looks. With somebody said quick hitting. I mean, that offense looked great. Somebody said I can't remember who it was on Twitter, but it was great. They said, "Have you ever played the game where you you put a quarter in and you just kind of point it and you try to knock the other quarters off, but you if like wherever you point it, it's just gonna go." And that's they said that's kind of how golf is. You got to point him in the right direction, he's gonna yeah. go. But if he has to call, if things change at all a few times for him. He, he's going to be in a little bit of trouble now. He seems quicker this year, and he did he did just look a lot better, and we just felt more comfortable. I think it was just a better start to the year. I liked what the Rams were doing more. I just I don't like this spot at all for them. Oh no, um, yeah. and their their line, their offensive line looked way better than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Way it, better, much think, much better, much better than last year. They looked a lot more like the two years ago offensive line. And I think this will be a, a good. I think this will be a good game. I don't think the Eagles are going to blow them out or anything. Just like you said, there's so much value on the Eagles side because people saw them lose to Washington. I bet you a lot of people got pissed off because this was probably a, a few people's survivor pools. You know that they yeah. had Philly right off the bat. They thought Washington was going to be one of the worst teams. And the the thing that we will always be able to say about this group of Washington, uh, the Washington football team, we'll talk about them pretty shortly, is that 
They have a really good defensive front That's going to keep them in some games And that's going to probably win them a few games Young was incredible right off the bat We'll talk about him in just a second Let's get to game 10 Which is the Broncos at the Steelers Steelers minus 7 Over under in here is now 41 and a half So the Steelers They defense, excellent defense But we said the Giants were in that game Felt like it was a little bit closer But what's nice is that after Some cobwebs early Big Ben did look Solid, pretty solid He was getting the playmakers involved Benny Snell really ran the ball well They don't know what's going to be happening with Connor for a while So it looks like it is going to be Benny Snell um, Steelers minus 7 Over under 41 and a half Where do you stand in this game? Um, The values on the Broncos Lines opened up at 5 One of those 5 lines I mentioned before I mean, for me, the Broncos Judy has some drops Judy's not going to have those drops I mean, he had some first game jitters. He had a couple drops. Two big Vianjo, ones. Two bad yeah, ones. Yeah. Yeah. By uh, Vic, by Vangio. Vangio. Questionable time management decisions toward the end of the game. This Denver team has talent on offense mm-hmm. and talent on defense. I think they're being a little other overlooked. And I really like Drew Locke. Yeah, I don't mind I really him at all. Think he's going to be a good quarterback. And the reason I like him is because he steps into his throws and he'll throw to the tight window. And if he throws an INT, like you see some of these guys, like I'll use Jimmy G, he'll get a little gun shy and his passes will start throwing. Luck has a short-term memory. He gives two shits if he throws an INT. He's got a great personality. He's going to get right to it. He has confidence in himself. And that's the guy you want um, as your QB1. Steelers are banged up up front in the offensive line, which is just something you have to remember. Big Ben did look great in the second half, but when I was watching that game, I watched it again this morning. Um, I have no clue why the Giants kept on pulling their tackle, pulling their guard, and just allowing the Steelers to to bull rush them. I mean, if they just would have held their their own, I think they would have done a better job allowing Barkley some run and protecting General Jones. And I'm going to trust Shermer's not a freaking moron, and he's going to watch the tape and see that and not pull the guards as much with his zone blocking scheme and just kind of play a little bit more power rushing. So, I mean, for me, I'm definitely going to be on the Broncos side, but I got to wait. Like if I can yes. get, I, I'm a greedy guy. Me too. If I can get more value on this. The line's already clicked up from five and a half to seven and a half. That's the thing you know? we got. There's so many options every week. We have so many things to play. Don't force the bad numbers for yourself. Don't put yourself in a bad situation. Right? So this is seven. How much better would seven and a half or eight feel? Right. Oh. It would be great. There's, and like I'm just gonna sit back and people bet the Steelers. Yep. Like there's just certain oh, they're, people they're one bet. of the biggest people popular teams. They're yeah. a sexy team. They've got one of the biggest fan bases. They, they, they look down, it's gonna be Steelers, Patriots, they're usually, you know, a couple of the teams that get the money. So yeah, I am opposite side of the Steelers here. Um, especially if we get up to seven and a half or eight. Let's get to Washington at Arizona. Arizona minus seven. 47 and a half is the over under right now Kyler Murray man he looked Really really good and what's Nice about this new wave Of these uh, Running quarterbacks now so with Lamar And with Kyler and I, and I guess You could throw someone like Russ into that mix Because they're they're not only Guys that can run they are super Accurate with their passing ability And the Kyler Hopkins connections Was incredible that was just week One and that was against the tough San Francisco Defense so imagine yeah. what they could do against you know weaker defenses if they want to feed Hopkins, who I think he was targeted 16 times 
And he had 14 catches And all on all all of them Were the were 14 of those Were catchable passes thrown by Kyler Murray As graded by pro football focus So with every catchable pass he caught They connected on I mean Murray looked great And the thing for me is he was actually running Last year yeah. he didn't run This year he was running And the funny thing is I don't know if you saw, if you saw what happened in uh, DraftKings DraftKings you get bonuses for 100 yards mm. When he took those two kneel downs out of the shotgun, it dropped. He lost. He went for under a hundred oh. yards, so it cost all, all these people money, and it was just getting lit up. I mean, that's why, like, when you play these DFS things, it's important to make sure you read the rules so you know what's going on. Um, I thought the Cards' defense looked better. I don't yeah. know if it was the Cards' defense looking better, or we talked about the San Francisco um, issues with the offense. But it looked better than it did, and their offensive line played better. I thought they were really going to have a hard time with the timing um, with Hopkins and Murray. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, he caught the ball, and it was right to him. So the timing wasn't the issue. Um, the big play for me in that, and I don't know if, if you've rewatched that game yet, but it was the end of the second half, end of the first half. Hopkins had gotten the ball, put the ball down. Fitzgerald ran over, picked up the ball, hustled it back. So that way he could give it to the center. Murray spiked the ball. They were able to get the field goal off right before the half. I mean, for me, it's just the little things that Fitzgerald yep. does that's going to help elevate this team. I had a little apprehensive about him. But, I mean, I could really see them winning the West because I really wasn't that impressed by anyone else, by the 49ers and the Seahawks. In terms of Washington, um, you hit on the head. Their defensive line is great. We're actually going to see if the Cards line is good. Because this is another good defensive front with Young. It's going to keep him in the game. Haskins made the throws he had to in the second half to win the game. The interior of the offensive line when I was watching for the Washington team looked really weak. So it's going to be interesting to see like how this game comes out. Um, in terms of DFS, deep, deep, deep sleeper, Logan Thomas. The Cardinals always struggle to, to check the tight end. But in terms of betting... I'm just staying away from this game. The 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 thing that I I just kind of jumps out to me is is Arizona ready to be a seven point favorite really against anybody yet? You know, because they, they yeah. were good last week. They were good last week, no doubt about it. But we said we we still again week one. Do we know was it more San Francisco? Maybe a little flat. You know, hangover. They were banged up, or was it really Arizona looking that great? Who knows? I just. For them to be a touchdown favorite over anybody right now, it just seems a little. And, and a if little this creeps up, because I mean, I don't, I don't know who's going to be betting Washington, right? People are looking at this game and going, "Wow, Kyler looked good. They beat San Francisco. Yeah, I'm going to throw a few bucks on Arizona." The only t- and so this is another one. If this gets me up, gets up to another point to like eight, you know, Washington could keep it close with their defensive front. I was a little bit more impressed with half. Than I had ever previously been I, I sort of, you know, like the the rallying cry at halftime And I had, had heard, you know, a few people mention that He, he doesn't know how many more chances he's got You know, mm-hmm. he, he's got he's to make things happen right now And win a couple games and, and show that he can lead this team Or else he's, he's not going to get more opportunities with Washington So I don't, 
I don't have a play at seven, but at seven and a half, eight, I would lean and I would probably go to the Washington side here. Over under in this game, 47 and a half. I still think Arizona wins, but yeah, seven just feels this feels like one of those overreaction games where people are gonna see big win for an Arizona team. They were a real buzzy, hot team with Kyler this year after making the trade, second year Klingsbury, uh, Klings, uh, Klings, Kingsbury, and you know, they their offense is really great. This this is sort of a trappy kind of Game for them that if they get up for this game And they blow Washington out I'll be I'll be impressed and think okay This this team is legit this, this is one of those weird Games that I would lean uh, lean Washington we got uh, just four games left To discuss let's get to the Ravens at the Texans Ravens minus seven at the Texans Jeez what did the schedule Makers do to this Houston Texans team <laughs> um, Not an easy way to Open your season huh you got to deal with Mahomes And then next week you got to have to deal With Lamar Jackson so Good luck, Houston. Here, over under in this game is fifty-two. Not an easy way to uh, to get your first two weeks at uh, of the NFL season underway. No, no. But this is why it's important to watch the games, though. The Ravens could not stop the run at all. Browns had some bad turnovers, and they got off script, and that's why they stopped running the ball. And they put Mayfield. It was a turnover yep. to a fake yep. punt. Was one. Yep. It was just. Yeah, the fake point was awful, but you know we won't talk about the like issues with Skifansky. Um, but they they were able to run the ball, and as bad as O'Brien's been at constructing this team, the one area of the team that he's done a very good job constructing is the offensive line. And David Johnson, he looked good. He did in that first week, and you have a team in the Ravens who just dismantled the Browns thirty-eight to six. You have a team in the Texans. First game, everyone watching. I mean, the score was a lot closer than it actually was because they got some touchdowns at the end. Um, and you have to remember, the Ravens have Kansas City next week. So, I mean, and the line's already gone from 5-5 five and five to 7. It's already moved two whole points. I know for me, I'm going to be betting Houston, and I'm going to be betting Houston straight up to win the game. Especially what you said, if this number goes up even more, another yeah. hook, man. I'm for sure, and I'm. This is one of those week one games, like you said. There's three or four that are the odd, and that doesn't mean they're automatic, but they're the ones that you look at and you go, "This is the game as a better that I love," because yeah. you have a team coming off of a big win. For whatever reason, the win was a little more inflated. It's the same thing. Like the Browns weren't great, but they made a couple mistakes, and Baltimore was able to sort of pour it on in weird spots. They scored at the end of the half, and like at the end of you know, in, in short time windows that could have changed. Not they weren't losing that game, but it just looked better than it was. You mentioned they got the big game coming up with the Chiefs next week, the one that they've circled, and we've already heard their team sort of talk about how they want to play well against the Chiefs and prove it to them. Um, yeah, this is. This game just screams Texans. It screams Texans. I mean, I think, I mean, if you, this is one of the games, like, and this is something I learned a lot of when I was first started doing this. When you have money line, when you have dogs you like, and you're getting over plus 200, two to one on the money line, always sprinkle a little bit on the money line. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, Especially when they're home. Too, oh yeah, for you sure. know, especially for sure. in this situation, we get to game number thirteen. The Chiefs are a nine-point favorite now. They're heading to play the Chargers. Over/under in this game is forty-eight. Chargers won Week One, but you know they were the beneficiary of a one of those either-or calls in the end zone where AJ Green pushed off and got an OPI call, or else they probably end up losing that game. And then Bullock for the Bengals. 
to kick a kick that would have tied the game. He slips and he pulls a hamstring and he botches the kick. And actually, he's a, been a pretty good kicker. He had a really solid year last year. So just a an atrocious way to lose for for the Bengals. But I did say Burrow. There was Burrow looked like a good rookie would look. Right. He wasn't going to be dominant, but he had some spurts. He had he moved really well with his feet. The nice little twenty plus yard run for the touchdown was good. So. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what to do here in this Chiefs-Chargers game. This might be another one. Are the Chiefs looking ahead to the Ravens next week? But I don't really know what to do with the Chargers game. This is a real stay away for me. See, for me, the way I look at stuff, I think this game screams Chargers. I mean, yeah, the line I can opened see, up. I can, I see at why. Six and a half and eight and a half. And when I watch the game now, it's amazing to me because, like, the stuff I put out on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever. No one ever says anything when I'm right, except for you this morning. Yeah. But when people always point out, like, tell you when you're I, wrong. I was always, to me, Kyle Edwards Alaire isn't an every down back in the NFL. He can't pass, pass block, pass pro. His first one, he gave up to a sack to the guy in the Texans who hasn't hit a sack in two years. No, and then he can't run in between the, um, we showed how many goal line opportunities did he have yeah. And that was something that killed me In a couple fantasy leagues that I have him You know everybody got really excited after week one And said oh look he was so good He had you know 20 points or this. But I was looking at it going Always the greedy one right What? Yeah. How much he left on the table There were two yeah. more touchdowns that he could have had easily He got six or seven more opportunities Right at the goal line So we're, I think he's still going to be a very very valuable asset And he's going to be someone be, Just being in this offense is going to give him Tons of opportunities He doesn't have a whole lot in the backfield To to go against him But I, I can see exactly what you're saying He just he, he, He's got a little buzz And he's one of those players that I think a lot of people Are going to probably jump and use in DFS this week And I mean you look at that game I mean how many just bad Tackles On his big plays Did the um, Texans Texans. Texans were off for a tackling This Chargers defense is a good defense you have ingram bosa they're going to be able to get some rush on the homes i really think this offensive line isn't anywhere near as good as the offensive line as the chiefs had last year um and the chiefs have struggled with the ravens type of offense historically in in past years and this is the the chargers are running a like a hybrid of that Mm -hmm. so i really think this game is going to be really sneaky. And you also want to know, like, as a better, you, what I do is I always look at, and I do it in MLB all the time, okay, what does Vegas need? Okay, obviously the two biggest parlays this week in the NFL, NFL are going to be Ravens money line with the Chiefs money line. Mm-hmm. Me as a better, I'm going to look the opposite way. Yep. I already know in my head I'm going to be parlaying the Texans money line and the Chargers money line. I'm going to be on both those already in my head. I've made that decision just because I know that's what's going to happen. And when I look at what I saw in the field, these teams aren't that, how can I say it? Number wise, there's not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. And the situation is just lining up perfectly with who they have the week after. Completely agree. And this is a game where I would not play the Chiefs. I'll tell you that. No. I just the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a team that I just never play because they're they're like the, they're a team that's always win or lose. So whenever they cover, they're very rarely undervalued. They're always 
they're very rarely, you know, the the team where you're getting a couple extra points. They're always the team where you're giving up points, um, two or three more than you should. Two games left to talk about. Sunday night game. We got the Patriots at the Seahawks here. Cam with the the Patriots. They were able to beat Miami. Seahawks were able to beat Atlanta. So the Seahawks are now up to a four point favorite over under forty five. What do you think about this game? I mean, for me, I think Seattle just got the beneficiary of playing the worst defense in the league. Um, offensive line is very. I'm very low on defensive line. The whole defense in general is bad for Seattle and for everyone that hates Cam Newton. If you're a Cam hater this year, you should just never go on social media. He has Bill Belichick now protecting him. Josh McDaniel (laughs) is going to put him in the perfect situation. If you're a Cam hater, just don't even just put your phone down. Don't even go on social media. Patriots defense. Yeah. You know, they're, they, they are missing some guys. It's not as good, but they do have Gilmore. Gilmore is going to be able to keep DK or Lockett, whoever he checks, locked down. I mean, for me, I'm definitely looking at the Patriots side. I think it's going to be a little low scoring than people realize, but it is the Sunday night game. And with those Sunday night games, it's important to remember, that's the last game of the day. And what's going to happen? People are going to bet the over because they want points. So always that line tends to inflate. I mean... It was. It opened at 44. I mean, my books have it at 45. It's already gone up a point. It keeps on trickling back and forth between three and a half and four. I'm just going to sit out and get the best line I can on the under in the Patriots. This is. I'm, I'm glad we had one. This is probably the first real time where we'll have a, a game where we go on opposite sides or sort of disagree. And it's mainly that. Like I think last year I was really against Seattle a lot of the time I thought they were over, and, and they were a team that was sort of lucky You could see they, they won a lot of games that they may probably shouldn't have And I just didn't love the Patriots as much as everybody else did And, and that's why I'm going to go with Seattle this week um, And Seattle, one thing that really stood out to me was And I made a small sample size obviously It's one game and maybe it was a game where Pete Carroll looked and said Okay, we're playing against an Atlanta team That's going to throw the ball a ton I'm just going to let Russ throw But they were so much different with the way they ran the ball early, early downs, and they or they threw the ball on early downs. They let Russ go get aggressive and throw the ball. And they're they're usually more of a run, 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 and then we, you know, we throw in very predictable spots or we make Russ have to run for a, a for and pick up a first down. I just like if they do make those tweaks, I like them a little bit more. And this is more of a I thought the Miami was really feisty in that game mm-hmm. against against New England. Like we said, a couple the picks that could have gone either way. It wasn't quite as as much of a beatdown as it may have looked on paper. And everybody was really and and Cam looked good. I will say Cam looked really good, and I think he's going to be in a really good spot with New England. I just don't know. Just like they coming off of Week One when they look good, maybe they beat a team that the game wasn't quite as much as everybody said. This will be the game where I'm going to go with Seattle. I'll take them at minus four. I don't want to go really much higher than that, but I think Seattle wins this game pretty pretty easily. I do, um, and uh, and I just think the Patriots are not going to have a great week. And then Belichick will make some adjustments. I they'll after Week One. I I think with Cam, as long as he stays healthy, they're going to be better than I thought um, because he looks healthy right now and he adds yeah. a dimension, Eric, to their Offense that someone like Tom Brady No matter how great of a passer Winner leader he was He just can't move his feet He Cam gives them something that they haven't had in 20 years Oh yeah for sure And then he just He's able 
his arm strength is a lot better. He's able to throw the ball down the field, and he likes the tall wide receivers. I was so high on Damian Bird this week, and he had, of course, he had zero catches, but he led them in snaps played. So I mean, it's if you guys are desperate, like, like in terms of wide receiver, that's definitely a guy to look at. Even DFS this weekend, if you play the Sunday night slate, because he led them in uh, in snaps, so he's definitely going to get looks. But you hit on the head that RPO and the quick hitting that offense looked really good. You dip just a different wrinkle that is it's like a, a new toys for uh, for Belichick and McDaniel's, um, and th- this is a this is a game that I'm really interested in. I'm like just I'm just really excited to watch this game with these two teams and, and to see where this team the, the Seattle's a good measuring stick for this Patriots team right now. They're not they're they're not one of the, right now. I don't think they're as good as a, a Chiefs or a Ravens or probably the, the top couple teams in the league. But they're a good team year in year out. Can this new group with the Patriots with Cam with some new pieces on the defensive end can they compete and win a game like this on the road? And if they do. It's not like the Patriots ever left. They're they're going to be right back there as a as one of the top teams uh, in the AFC. Let's get to the final game, the Monday night game. It's going to be the open the home opener for the the Las Vegas Raiders. How weird! Like, are you are you used to seeing the LV on the ticker yet? It still makes it still weirds me out every time I see the L, the score with the LV. Like, who the hell is L? Oh yeah, the Raiders. I'm just not gotten used to those initials yet. Oh yeah, I mean it's going to take me forever. I still yeah. part, start. Called the Chargers the San Diego. Chargers. Me too. Oh yeah. I mean, it's absolutely. Gonna take, I, I and I, I'm gonna probably be calling the Raiders the Oakland Raiders forever. <laughs> forever. Yeah. Um. In terms of this game, like, and I'm pissed off at myself, and like, it just shows you you have to trust your notes, trust what you see. Like in my office, I have a whiteboard that says fantasy notes, and I always say old quarterbacks check the ball down. That's the number one thing on my fantasy board. In my office right now. And I didn't grade Camara at the beginning of the year as high as I should have. Breeze is over 41, and you saw in the game, he's checking the ball. He's not heaving the ball mm-hmm. down the field as much. Now you have this news Michael Thomas is hurt. Yeah. So that's going to elevate um, Emmanuel Sanders to that one. But now Sanders is way more effective playing the slot. Are they going to play him outside more? You got Traycon Smith, who's a deep a deep sleeper on fantasy now, and probably um, if you play the Millionaire Maker, a good play for that. Um, I mean, I just as much as they the score would say, oh wow, the Saints kicked the Bucks' ass. I wasn't impressed with the Saints team at all. Kamara, Kamara didn't run for anything. Like, did he even over have twenty yards rushing? He just had a couple touchdowns on some dump passes. Defense looked better. They got some breaks, but I mean. I, if if I can get a seven here, I'd be doing a freaking backflip. Yeah, you know, I, I, same I, thing. This is yeah. a number in the middle that I, I just and I don't know what to do with the Raiders because we said the and now this is this is a situation where I don't know for this team how much I'm like what happened last week will affect this week. Just what happened last week was I thought you know Carolina in a fun game they went back and forth with Carolina and then Carolina I felt like they were moving the ball well and we talked about that stupid play call either bridge give, give it to Teddy B and let him sneak when it's inches or you just say hey we're putting the ball in the right in the belly of our best player CMC and we're going to make him get us a half of a yard here which is what we need and they didn't do that and so I, I don't know and and we'll see what's going on with uh, with rugs I don't know what the Raiders are I, I do like the spot for the Raiders though Home, 
new stadium, Monday night. I think they're going to be pumped up. Saints came off of a win. G- we're generally used to the Saints being flat early in the season, and I think they they heard that and they didn't come out flat last week. They played fine. I just don't think they played. People were assuming that the Bucks were going to be so great, so t- the Saints beat the Bucks. Now that means the Saints are one of the best team, the best team in football. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think this is a closer game at Monday oh, night, and I still think the Saints win, but maybe it's the Saints by a field goal. I mean, Kamara only had 16 yards rushing on 12 attempts, and Oakland's offensive line—they look good. They're good. They, they, they can run really the ball. Good. They can I run mean, the ball, man. I mean, in our league, I was praying Jacobs would have fell to me, praying, but he didn't. But Anyway, um, I just think they're going to ground and pound. Grudem's going to put him in position. And I think if this there was a home crowd, I mean, I'd be hammering this game. But I'll, I'll wait for the seven, and I'll sprinkle on the money line. It's currently five and a half. Saints are five and a half point favorite, and the over-under is 49 and a half. So there are your weak Two games um, Eric give us kind of a Overview we went through all of them but give us like A couple of the games that you're for sure Marking down or you've got you've already gotten The numbers that you like that you you sort of locked in um, I'm definitely have the Eagles game circled definitely yep. have the Chargers game circled and the Texans game circled those are going to be the three Games I'm definitely going to be monitoring the line movement Trying to get the best possible value I can yeah, for me, it's the Colts uh, minus the three, the Eagles plus the one, uh, Seahawks minus the four. Those are my for sures. And then a lot of others that uh, that we're looking at, some that we mentioned, you know, like Jets, Washington, if we can get up plus seven and a half there. Um, I, I thought maybe as a Cowboys around four and a half. We talked about going opposite way too in the uh, against the Ravens and the Chiefs, especially if those numbers float up a little bit as they have a big matchup against each other next week in week Three, Eric, man, great call on the uh, the Denver Clippers series. Great job again this week. Really appreciate uh, how you you know we throw in a little fantasy stuff here. We talk about the line movement. We give it a little analysis, a little bit of everything, which is the just the the way I love doing it. And uh, we'll have to get you back here in a few weeks, maybe you know week five or six or something. We'll bring you back. We'll check out, back in again, and we'll uh, we'll go through the the week slate. Sounds good, man. Awesome, Erica. Give the the folks uh, your plugs again. Where can we follow along on social media? You do some really good stuff on uh, on Twitter, over on Instagram, and I know you uh, you have your podcasts that come out sometimes. Where you uh, again, you're all over the place with whatever big sporting events are going on. You're going to discuss them. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I my podcast usually comes out Monday. Right now, it's going to be like my reactions to what I see. Saturday will be a little preview. You can follow me on Twitter. And Instagram, um, I have a website, etof21sports. All my betting tra- spreadsheets are there for tracking. Um, I'm also selling my gambling plays, where if you're interested in those, the pricing's there. Um, if you are there, I send you, like, a full DFS write-up, like, the four guys to build around and, like, what guys to attack and who to stay away from. Great stuff, like always, man. I, I really uh, appreciate all the work you put in. I always uh, look forward to our conversations, and I'll be uh, I'll be shooting you messages all throughout the weekend uh, with fantasies back and forth in these games, and we'll see how we do. Uh, and hopefully, we make a little money, and hopefully, we steer a few people in the right direction this weekend. Sounds good, man. Look forward to it. Okay, folks, don't you go anywhere. We'll be back here on that's what G said with plenty more. We're just going to hear from one of our sponsors. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. 
Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if, like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. Crappy week one for me, but a big thank you to Eric for coming on to help us with week two because I got to bounce back in week in week two. Week one, you know what? It's hard to say crappy when there were just a couple games that were, you know, one play swung the game, and that was the difference between covering and not covering. So let's bounce back this week. Remember those games that are really like Colts minus three, Eagles plus the one, Seahawks minus the four. Other games to look at, if you can get Carolina-Tampa uh, the over-under at 48, watch that one. We'd go over 48. Uh, the Jets, especially if it gets up to plus seven and a half, that's the one that I would jump at. Still think San Fran wins that game, but I think you know plus the seven and a half, a banged up San Francisco 49ers team. Jets coming off that really, really bad looking uh, week one. Washington, same thing, plus seven and a half. Let's, let's see if we can find the, the hook around there somewhere. And uh, maybe even the under, if we can get 48 as an over-under in that Washington-Arizona game. Also keep an eye on those Cowboys. Four, uh, four and a half. I think the Cowboys play a little bit better this week in, uh, in week two. So best of luck in NFL week number two. Let's get into the horse racing, and we'll start with Churchill Downs on Friday. Get those past performances out for Churchill Friday, September the 18th. First race we're going to look at is race number three. I'm going to go to the seven in here, Ambitiously Placed. These are Maiden 50 claimers. Ambitiously Placed debuted against Maiden 75s at Churchill and then faced Maiden Special Weights in the next three starts over at Ellis, going a mile um, in the next three starts at Ellis. Two of them were going a mile. Now we'll go a mile, and what I like 
is drawn to the outside, and there is not a lot of other speed in here on paper. Now, there are a couple first-time starters. It wouldn't be a surprise to see the one or the six show a little bit of speed. Looks like the uh, one of the four, excuse me, show a little bit of speed. Wins, it looks like it has shown a little bit of ability in the mornings. Ida Storm, don't really know what we're going to get from this one. You can kind of just put a line at, uh, through her debut. But I know we're going to get some speed out of ambitiously placed That's what we've seen And she's actually run pretty well Against better This is a good spot Now let's look at some of the horses That she's faced She comes out of a race Behind a horse uh, Named Olivia of the Desert I, I thought that was a good effort But the the two and three back races uh, Dream Quest was a horse Who came back to finish third In the stakes race At Ellis Next Out Ava's Grace was third In the Adirondack It's good company She's been keeping This is a softer spot Not a lot of speed Drawn to the outside So if she needs to sit it's going to work out very well for Ambitiously Placed. If we get anything around 7-2, to two, I'm going to make a win wager on the number 7, Ambitiously Placed. Let's move to race number 5 at Churchill. Uh, a couple horses I'm going to look at. The 1 and the 6. The I think the 6 you, you have to use in your exotics, but I wouldn't be su- uh, surprised if he gets bet a little bit. So I'm looking to play the 1 making tracks, who's going to try the turf again. Is going to go second start off the long layoff. Second time for the new barn Stretches out Mile and a sixteenth on the grass I, I just like the moves they are making for this one For Dallas Stewart Second time in the barn Got the nice little prep out of the way To get some fitness for making tracks Expect this one to save all the ground And come running late The number one We will make a win wager If we can get anything around Six to one Let's move to race number eight At Churchill on Friday And it's going to be the number eight Hat tip You know this is a really consistent filly, and if you look what she's done on the grass, it's really hard to knock uh, much of what uh, much of what she's done recently. Put a line through the October 30th race at the end of 2019. That was a race that was on the slop, and that was a race that sent her to the bench from October of 2019 to the end of August of 2020. Easy race to excuse. Look at the prep race that she just came out of. She was fifth of six, but she was no more than five off of it. She made a big early five wide move, three deep. But she was more like in the five path And she just tired late She needed the race Now she's going to go second off the long layoff Second time as a four year old She has a little more improvement there Her numbers and figures are not far off this group There's no monsters in here Race number eight The number eight Hat tip Anything around five to one We're going to make a win wager Make sure to throw him uh, Make sure to throw her into your late exotics And then we move to race number nine Glory Road He just got completely outrun a race was won by a wire-to-wire winner last time out. He's going to put two starts together. This horse, this is a horse who you know has now switched barns. Another one who's going to go second time in the Dallas Stewart barn. If you get around eight to one or so, I'd bet a few bucks on Glory Road. It's just one of those upside plays where you feel like there's so much more to this one. You look up and down this race. Nobody really. There, there are some horses that are good, but they don't really scare the hell out of me. And I got some question marks about them. Right, Mister Candy Ride. Might be a little better down the road Communicator is very nice And you know Admire is consistent But Glory Road could be really good And he got the prep race out of the way So let's try to catch him at the price he is right now And anything around 8-1 to will make a win wager On the number 5 Glory Road So race number 3 The 7 ambitiously placed At 7-2 to will make a win wager Race number 5 the number 1 making trucks At 6-1 to in race number 8 the number eight hat tip, anything around five to one is the value line there. And in the ninth, the number five, Glory Road, anything around eight to one or so feels fair. 
from Churchill to Belmont. Let's go to Belmont Friday, September the 18th. Get those past performances out, and we will jump to race number four for the first play, and that's going to be number three, Danny, California. This is a small field, and they're going to be going a mile and a half, so we'll have to see if, if Danny, California, you know, is best going this long, but he's sharp, and there is no other speed in here. I mean, there is nobody that you could even assume is going to be close. Someone's going to try to get a little aggressive, and maybe maybe it's Cormouche from the outside. Maybe it's Johnny V from the inside with you're to blame just thinking. But it's got to be Danny California. He's just naturally quicker than most in here. And I think the connection, reading from an article in DRF, the connections have sort of said they're just going to gonna try to go. They think he can go, he can run all day, and this is a great spot to try to steal a race. If he's 5-1... to one, I'm making a win wager on the number three, Danny California. Make sure to throw him in your wagers at Belmont on Friday in the fourth. Let's go to race number five, the number three, Banker's Beast. He was close up. He was three deep. He was pressing. He was up on even terms in his most recent start, but he he couldn't go on with the eventual winner that day. That was against Maiden Special Weights. This is a big drop down to Maiden 25's state bread. There are not much, there is not much in this group either. Nothing scares me. And I think he's just going to be really close throughout. I wouldn't be shocked if he's right on the lead or sitting second or third. Banker's Beast in the mix throughout. Nice little work over at Monmouth Park. So let's expect some speed here from this one on the big drop-in class. Anything around 4-1 to one or so, we'll make a win wager on the number 3. Banker's Beast in race 5 at Belmont. We move to race number 8 at Belmont Park. And I'm going to go to the 7 horse in here. That is Prairie Fire. He's gonna add, she's gonna have the blinkers and Lascano's gonna jump back aboard. He was aboard for her last couple victories. Most recently, she settled towards the rear. She was just outrun a little bit early. She was back to twelve plus lengths off. She does not have to be that far back. And you'll notice now the blinkers come back on, and now Lascano, who was able to get her into the race much much earlier and have her sit nice trips, and when he went off. The cancel the last couple times took her back a little bit more. She actually ran really well two starts back, but I, I think you can tell the connections want her to be in the race and to be sitting a little bit closer. I'm hoping she just stalks nicely from the outside. There's some speed to the inside. She should get a great, great trip. I just I don't want her to get too aggressive now because you got the one who's got some speed. You th- you'd imagine the four Jewel of Arabia is going to be really close. Baby Boss is going to be right there too. Um, even Fierce Lady drawn right to the inside. So let's have Prairie Fire sitting just off all those speeds there. Anything around 5-1 to one or so will make a win wager on Prairie Fire. And we move to race number 9 at Belmont Park. And it's going to be the number 1 Windfall Prophet who's going to be making her third start of the form cycle. She should save all the ground in here for Suge. She was much improved as a 3-year-old with Lasix in her last few starts. And I just think she's a nice horse heading in the right direction. Saves the ground here. Windfall profit. Make sure to use her in your late exotics. And let's make a win wager. She's anything around not, uh, anything around seven to two or so feels fair. Let's move from the Friday racing to the Saturday racing. But before we do, we have to let you know about one of our sponsors, and it's a it's a horse racing sponsor over at OldSmokeClothing.com. Yes, horse racing T-shirts, polo shirts. Hoodies, long sleeves, hats, zip-ups with names of horses, big races, slogans. You can get custom designs. You can show the horse racing fan in you. And if you use the promo code G-I-N-O, free shipping. No shipping cost on your order. 
You an authentic fan? They've got some authentic t-shirts. How about a Bob Baffert fan? They've got the Bob Baffert tees with the, a silhouette of Baffert's face on them. Tis the Law t-shirts. You can sign up for yearly memberships for the uh, the clubhouse for the subscription box where you get, you know, also, you get four different shipments throughout the year Check out that Old Smoke Clubhouse They have new shipments in of trucker hats Black and, and black Gray and white, navy and white With the 1A patch on top Don't forget about that promo code G-I-N-O will get you free shipping on your order Oldsmokeclothing.com You have any friends that are into horse racing This will be a great gift for them For a birthday coming up, maybe a holiday Moms, dads, brothers, sisters Anyone you know that's a, a horse racing fan They probably don't have as much horse racing gear This would be a cool gift, unique And we give you a, a little bit of a, a bonus We're going to save you a few bucks No shipping on your order when you use that promo code G-I-N-O Churchill down Saturday Get those past performances out Let's Go to race number two for September the 19th. This is mainly just an early exotic single, and that's the the three Villanelle. I just think she's going to be much better. She's a three-year-old daughter of Curlin, and her dam was five for 18, was a multiple graded stakes winner, earned 340000 She took a lot of money in her debut. She was a step slow, but she moved up to, you know, she was up to about fifth or sixth. She was too deep. She was four lengths off. She made a big four-wide move. She got up to within about a length, and then she flattened out, and then she came on again late for fourth. So there's some ability here, and... Just not a very strong maiden special weight group I think you can single her if you're playing any kind of Early exotics there at Churchill On Saturday We move to race number 3 and I'm looking at the 1A Lexi on the move I think she's going to get a really really nice Trip in here if we can get around 5 to 2 I'll make a win wager on her And and you probably get 2 for 1 action With the affiliate that you imagine Will probably be showing a little more speed than her Lexi Last out tried the grass So you can make an easy excuse and put a line right through the race And uh, two starts back Back in April She hooked a, a sloppy racetrack over at Oak Lawn And that was in a stakes race that has come back to be Very very live So you can make legitimate excuses for her last two And if you watch either of her First two races If she sits like she did In either of them She will be tough to beat She on March the 8th She broke really well She was taken back a couple lengths off She makes it Big four wide rally It was a nice win And she feels like she gets the trip in here With Last Chance for Love going to show some speed You'd imagine uh, LZ is going to be showing some speed Fair Maiden has some speed And if if she was fresh and showing it off the bench That wouldn't be a shock at all And towards the outside uh, Perfect Happiness will be more stalking I have question marks about Casual Who has not really been good in her last few This might be the type, the, the day to try to beat A horse like Fair Maiden who hasn't raced Since November a, a lot of things point me to Lexi on the move, Perfect Happiness is like The measuring stick horse in this race, the one they'll Have to beat, Lexi on the move is the one You should be able to bet if we get anything Around 5-2 to two in race number 3 Let's move along to race Number 8 and I'm going to go to the inside With Rock Paper Rock Paper Scissors here the dam of this one was 0 for 16, but this gal is a half to rule. Who was 6 for 20, earned over a million, was 3 for 5 at the age of 2, won the Delta jackpot, also won the Sam F. Davis, was third in the Florida Derby, and is also a, a full sibling to, uh, Rock, Paper, Scissors is also a full sibling to Matru, who was 12 for 45 and has earned over $700,000. In her debut, she got shuffled from the inside in the slop. She made a middle move up to just a couple lengths off. And then she faded 
there's some ability here. The blinkers go on. She showed some some uh, nice speed in the mornings at Keeneland recently. I think you, you're probably going to go you, you, from the rail. You probably have to go. Just a much improved effort expected and probably a late exotic single for me. If anything, over 2-1, to one, I'll make a win wager on the number one rock, paper, scissors. And a horse who, man, I hope man, I hope we can get her 10-1, to one, but anything at 5-1 to one or so around uh, Edgy Angel, the number three in race number nine, this filly had a brutal, brutal trip last time out. She broke well. She took back on the inside. She was saving ground. She was seventh. They had five, six lengths off. But she was behind horses with nowhere to go. Loaded, blocked, just begging, screaming out for room. Couldn't find it anywhere. And if you look at her overall form, the race in May, the third place effort in May, it's a repeat of that would put her right there with this group. And just put a line through her last effort. And the regret, she was 100-1 to that day. She was just facing too tough. She fits nicely. If she's 5-1, to we're going to make a nice win wager on the number 3, Edgy Angel. So Churchill Saturday. Second race, the number 3, Villanelle, early exotic single. Third race, the 1A, Lexi on the move. The win wager around 5-2. to In the 8th race, the number 1, Rock, Paper, Scissors. Anything around 2-1 to or so. We'll make a win wager. And this will probably be a late exotic single. And in the ninth race, the number 3, Edgy Angel, anything around 5-1 to one, We will play this one to win Still going to be on Saturday September the 19th, but now we're heading Over to Belmont, we'll be playing uh, Some Woodbine following that, so Let's get you to Belmont And let's jump to race number 4 here There's just there's not a ton of speed in this race There's a couple that, that might be Aggressive and decide to go One of those I think is Big Boy Mo With with Carmouche jumping aboard So I'm going to use Big Boy Mo I'm going to play him to win at anything around 5-1 to one. In Exotics I will also use The two Justice of War The first time gelding on the drop Who looks like he'll be in a good spot He's always shown tactical speed And in the 9 Beachfront I think tried a little bit tougher off the claim He's run well at Belmont before he feels like a horse who will probably come and run them all down if they do go too quick. So those are, those are the horses I'm including there. Six Big Boy Mo with the two Justice of War with a nine beach front. And let's play the uh, the six Big Boy Mo at anything around five to one or so. In the very small field of the Belmont Oaks, which is race number five, I do like the two outside horses. Antoinette is going to be tough, you think, to catch because she really does look like she's Naturally much much quicker than everybody else In the field but I do like Niji Blanche at around 7 to 2 I'll make a win wager on her She was a group 3 winner in France she can run All day she debuted In the Powell Barn and her and it was also Her US debut in August After making 6 starts in France It's now going to be her second start off the bench And her second time US Second time for the you know for the connections She had a slow start she settled Towards the rear in between horses and she really got Going late it was a solid Prep now I don't mean a prep because it was A grade one but it was a prep in that She will be better today and she Is better going longer she's proven Herself you know she broke her maiden Going a mile and a quarter on the synthetic She's won a group three going a mile and Three eighths so she has no Problem with distance and I just expect a a, a Really nice effort from Niji Blanche in this small field. So in race number five, you know, if you're playing pick fives or anything like that, I would be using the four and the five, and I'll make a win wager on the four at around seven to two, and probably try to hook up some exactas with the four five there. We move to race number eight, and for me, I'm looking at Banker's Daughter, the seven. 
she's she's become pretty consistent and, and versatile with what I like. She's drawn well. She showed last time out she can sit really close, but there's not a ton of speed in here, so she should be in a good spot. Maybe third or fourth, I don't think, on the lead. And I like that being drawn towards the outside, it gives you some options there. So Banker's Daughter, let's include in all of our exotics. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything around three to one. In race number nine, I expect Maxwell um, Esquire to take a lot of money. Anything over eight to five, to me, feels like we're getting value. So I'm going to treat Maxwell Esquire like a late exotic single. That's the number seven Maxwell Esquire in race number nine. And then in the 10th, Mommy's Jewel at around five to two feels like a fair price. I mean, she broke really well. She was taken back. Out of a really tight spot, she sat third She was inside, she was a couple lengths off She got off the rail, she made an early three path move And then she was in the two path Uh, She was up to challenge at the top of the lane It was a good effort That was going a mile, now you're going to get the cutback in here To six furlong, so she might be a little more off the pace But she showed she can stalk Come up and pass some horses And she'll be fitter in this spot So race number 10 Use the number seven mommy's jewel in your exotics, and let's make a win wager if we can get around five to two. So, in, in the fourth race, the number six big boy Mo at around five to one, and use with the two and the nine. In the fifth race, the number four Niji Blanche at around seven to two, used along with the five. In the eighth, the number seven banker's daughter at around three to one. In the ninth, Maskwell Esquire at uh, around eight to five feels fair. That's like an eight, a late exotic single. And in the tenth, the number seven, Mommy's Jewel, around uh, five to two would be the win wager and a value line there. So that is Saturday over at Belmont. Let's go from Belmont to Woodbine, where it is the Woodbine Mile. We'll take a look at race number three up at Woodbine, and we'll start with the number three, Skies Not Falling. So this uh, this third race is the on- Ontario Racing Stakes. They're going to go five furlongs on the turf course. Sky's Not Falling ran to one of the better two-year-old turf sprinters out there in Golden Pal, who was super impressive at Ascot and then just crushed over at Saratoga. Um, Ascot, when he was uh, second that day, Golden Pal. Sky's Not Falling is proven at passing horses, which you don't see in a lot of these short five furlong races, and I think he's going to get a really nice trip in here. That's the number three. Sky's Not Falling in race three at Woodbine on Saturday. Anything around seven to two, let's make a win Wager. We move to the sing spiel. Race number seven, the grade three, mile and a quarter on the turf course. And keep an eye on Admiralty Pier because he is cross-entered in this race and also in the Woodbine Mile. And in whichever race he goes in will be he'll be a big factor just based on his speed alone. So he's gonna have a say in the race. I think they're leaning towards the mile as of right now. I like Jungle Fighter. The barn has been really unlucky. The meet, they're due for a little bit of luck. Jungle Fighter was a runner-up last time out, and now he's going to go third start off the very long layoff. He had a slow start from the rail. He moved inside. He was fourth. He was just two, three lengths off, and he was chasing the lone speed and the eventual winner that day, Uncle Bull. So if there's, you know, no lone speed situation in here, if it's Admiral T. Pier and you know, tis a slam, flashing a little bit of, of speed, and and an, at least an honest pace scenario. I think Jungle Fighter sits a really good trip in here. Jungle Fighter, the number 10, will make a win wager. If we can get anything around 6 to 1, should be a good price in some of your exotics. Now, race number 9 is also going to come down to Admiral T. Pier. Because if he is in this race, then I like Starship Jubilee. Starship Jubilee needs a little something to run at, and she should get the jump on 
a Stone Cold closer like March to the Arch. She likes this turf course. She was wide chasing the top two that just went 2-1 all the way around and she finished separated and they finished separated a neck and that was a tougher group than this group is as far as depth. Now, if no Admiral T. Pierre, I, I still think War of Will is going to run big, but I would be willing to take a shot against him on the win end if Admiral T. Pierre is in this race. No Admiral T. Pierre, War of Will is going to be really, really tough, and maybe we play some exact as War of Will over Starship Jubilee. Because with the outside draw, War of Will can go or it can sit. That's race number nine. We'll have the four Starship Jubilee if Admiral Pierre runs, and War of Will if not. And then in the 10th race, I will just use two horses in the exotics, the uh, the three and the five. So I'll hook the two of them up if you're playing any kind of late rolling exotics. Forest Drift will try the turf for the first time. Her dam won the only turf start over this course in a stakes race. She was four for seven and a multiple stakes winner. There's some turf in the pedigree. And then Super Munnings was really unlucky in her debut. She was wide um, and she took back and lost a ton of ground, and made a huge sweeping move and just missed. That was going five furlongs, then one going six and a half furlongs, and the damn one on the grass, so she should be tough in here. So in race number 10, it's the five super munnings, it's the three forest drift. We'll hook the two of them up in all exotics and uh, and play some exactas with those two. So Woodbine Saturday, third race, the three, sky's not falling around seven to two. Seventh race, the 10, Jungle Fighter, anything around 6-1. to one. In the ninth race, the 4, Starship Jubilee, if Admiral T. Pierre is in. And make sure you use War of Will and all the exotics. He just might be the class of the field. And especially if there's no Admiral T. Pierre, he might be able to just dictate the, the race from the outside. And then in the 10th, the number 3, Forest Drift, and the 5, Super Munnings. Use those two in all of your exotics. That is Saturday up at Woodbine. Let's... uh. Go to Sunday up at Woodbine. Now, when I'm recording this, there's no morning lines out for Sunday's races because it's it's Thursday. And I'm just going to talk about the two stakes races. There are actually two grade ones on Sunday for two-year-olds on the turf. So I'll mention some horses I, I like, and, and maybe you can throw them in your exotics. And if they uh, are the prices that we hope, then um, horses to uh, to maybe play win wagers on or uh, or key in on in some of the those exotics. Let's get to race number seven for Woodbine Sunday. Get the past performances out for September the 20th. And race number seven is the grade one summer mile in the turf course for two-year-olds. The two horses I'm going to look at in here are American Monarch for Bill Mott. This two-year-old debuted at Saratoga. He was tracking a couple lengths off in the two-path. He was fourth. He was about three wide. And he made a nice bid at the top of the lane in between horses. It was very, very professional and I think sky's the limit for American Monarch. Right next to him was another really impressive debut winner going long, and that's why I, what I'm going to lean to in here, the horses who I've already seen and they've proven that they can go long, and they've done so very nicely, American Monarch and Heat of the Night. Now, Heat of the Night debuted at Gulfstream on September the 3rd, was close up, was in between horses, took back on the inside, then was in tight, shuffled, ended up fourth, fifth, couple lengths off, and moved up to second at the top of the lane and was able to get by the two to five favorite who already had a race of experience under his belt. I was really impressed with the debut win for Heat of the Night. So those will be the two that I'm going to use in the exotics. American Monarch and Heat of the Night. Ready to repeat. Gretzky the Great. Secret Potion. Super impressive, but... 
Give me the horses who I saw, I know they can go long, and the styles, the way they sat, should be just a couple lengths off, horses that don't need the lead in here, American Monarch and Heat of the Night in race number 7. Then we move to race number 9, and season, Stunning Princess showed speed at Saratoga both times, uh, faded last time out, just beat Brokewell, sat second. And lost to a really nice Chad Brown debut first time starter in the debut. Lost to a horse named Plumall who came back to win a $500,000 stakes race at Kentucky Downs next out. So Stunning Princess has faced some nice ones. Seasons is actually who I like the most in here. Just a good start. Was tracking inside. Got a nice opening and just shot through a very professional type debut. Then you have Sleek Lynx, who had a horrendous trip. A pretty good start, but didn't want the lead on the inside, so settled, took back, and then ended up in, in like the third flight on the inside. Fifth of six, with nowhere to go, was shuffled a few different times, was loaded, traveling really well, makes a big five-wide move, takes the lead, but it's really green and all over, all over the place. The jockey actually called an objection against the, the eventual winner that day, Sleek links though, there's ability And if they can just figure her out a little bit She's got something I'm using her in the exotics Lady Spite Spare was a, a quick filly winning in her debut She had a good start She was she was fine at the start She wasn't like a rocket ship initially But the second, third steps She kind of looked around, nobody else is going And then they get aggressive and they shoot through to the lead When what was nice is A lot of times Horses that are on the lead, they get a challenge and they just fade. This was not the case with Lady Spite Spear. She repelled the challenge. Winning at seven furlongs first time out of the box is not easy. She's come back and shown some ability in the mornings and, and put up a couple really nice works. I think Lady Spite Spear is in a great spot here. So for me, it's Seasons over Sleek Links over Lady Spite Spear, maybe Stunning Princess and some of the exotics. And I'll, I'll sort of do similar. Dreaming of Dew and Alda come out of the Catch a Glimpse, which is sort of the prep race for this on August the 23rd, going six and a half. They were both good. It was a wicked beat if you bet Dreaming of Dew that day. I think they might get bet, and I prefer the other horses that I've seen go longer and feel like they might be a little bit better going longer. So for me, it's Seasons, Sleek Links, Lady Spite Spear, trying to beat the uh, the local Dreaming of Dew and Alda who uh, come out of that Catch a Glimpse. So those are your two... Plays over at Woodbine for Sunday. Let's talk a little WWF SummerSlam 2001. Before we do, we have to mention Sarah Candle Company, our friends over at sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, gets you 10% off of your purchase. These are all natural soy wax candles. If you like to burn candles... Check out Sarah Candles right now. They're better for you. They're healthy. They're super affordable. It's a local small business. They use wax that's all natural and soy wax. So there's no toxins that are found in the paraffin wax that is used in a lot of other leading candle brands. 100% lead-free cotton wicks. Completely natural scents. Locally sourced. Handcrafted in the USA. 25 different scents available. Three different sizes. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Let's close it out with SummerSlam 2001. It's the old wrestling rewatch. Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali join. We go match by match, all the commentary, promos, everything happening in SummerSlam 2001.
We are back, Old Wrestling Rewatch, and the crew, Darren Zocali, Andrew Champagne, are joining me. And fellas, SummerSlam 2001 is what we'll be talking, and I thought this was a really good show. This is in a really hot time for the business, even though I'm sure we'll discuss a lot throughout the show about how they screwed up the invasion angle, which was like a the, the one of the greatest angles handed to you on a silver platter, but they sort of botched it. But the thing about it, it, maybe at the end of it, it wasn't great, but throughout it, you still had some good shows, just like this one, where you had some really good matches. It's another one where the crowd is really hot. There's not a whole lot of bad on the show. You just go all the way through it. Nothing that's like, eh. The, the thing that's probably the longest is that uh, the Brothers of Destruction like sort of elongated squash match in the in the cage. But you know what? The crowd is still into it, and it was. It was at the end of a feud where DDP was playing a creepy stalker, so that's fine for the uh, for the blow off. DZ, let's get some of your uh, overall thoughts first. What'd you think, uh, SummerSlam 2001? Yeah, th- this was actually an interesting watch for me because uh, I don't remember this pay per view that well. Because to be quite honest with you, I wasn't really into WWE for about a two year period. Mm-hmm. At this we all have that period or so. Yep, yeah, yep. And the reason was you alluded to it. I hated how they handled the WCW invasion thing. I was so pumped for it. I thought you were going to get Sting and, you know, the long list of Goldberg. Yeah. You know, yeah. I thought you were going to get like, you know, good WCW 2.0, you know, and seeing some of the matches that you never, ever thought you would ever be able to see. And then they just kind of come over and yeah, you get Booker T and you get, DDP and stuff, but for the most part, you get like their second, third tier guys, and the whole angle with Shane and all the stuff that he did, and man, it just left me flat. And to be quite honest with you, I I couldn't stand the fact, like you said, that they got handed this great storyline on a silver platter, and they just screwed the entire thing up, and it really turned me off. Uh, I've seen this pay per view, but to be honest with you, I've probably only watched it once or twice in my life. So going back. And watching it wasn't really feeling as much as a, as a rewatch as some of the other ones because there was a ton of stuff on here that I completely did not remember. I'm in a similar situation to Darren in that I was with him on how WWF handled the invasion. Some of it was not their fault. To be fully transparent, they were in a situation where if they weren't going to bring guys over, it was because more often than not, of a ridiculous contract that WCW signed their guys to. That was a business management decision. It wasn't a conscious, oh, we think Booker T and DDP are the only two guys we're going to bring in. Oh, it'll be fine. It was a case where if they brought Sting into the picture, then they were going to have to pay him a ridiculous amount of money. Same with Goldberg, same with the NWO. Nash, Hogan, Hall. Could you, yeah, just those five. Could you imagine just those five and Flair? Like, bring, could, just how much different it would have felt if it's them and Flair and Goldberg and Sting. Just the crew you mentioned. And yeah. like you said, it. we understood why WWF didn't do it. And hell, the business was still really hot at the time. But the angle itself just got squashed because it never felt. And, and you know, the problem, it's like you looked at some of the, the matchups in the inaugural brawl and then later on in the Survivor Series. And and we've got these stacked lineups on the WWF side, so much so that they had to actually turn Angle and Austin 
to put them on the alliance side just to make it feel like there was actually a chance for them to win some of this. Yeah, and you hit on one of the main things that turned me off about 2001, not even necessarily the alliance angle, the fact that they turned Stone Cold Steve Austin heel. Mind you, that is not to say he could not be a heel. Far from it. And, and the match with Angle match was good, Angle. and Angle was, was starting tremendous. to get yeah, it's starting to get hot match. as a babyface. I, I thought it was great. It just completely it just he was he had that role the the him and McMahon the hug and then everything. It was I did not like it. I agree with you. I mean, hot take that ruins WrestleMania 17 for me. Yeah. One of the greatest shows in the history of World Wrestling Federation WWE WWWF whatever iteration of the company you want that turn kills the entire show for me dead there's a reason i have not recommended it there's a reason i have not rewatched it from start to finish i've seen little bits and pieces of it throughout the years one time through was all i needed this show though there's a lot of really good stuff i really enjoyed watching it and i'm looking forward to going through it because there's a lot of stuff that unlike some stuff in the attitude era holds up today yeah, and wouldn't be totally out of place mm-hmm. if it showed up on Monday Night Raw or SmackDown or NXT, anything like that. There's some really cool stuff in here. Yeah. And by the way, Gino, before we dive in, just to add on to what uh, Andrew was talking about with the contracts. Yeah, some, some of it would have been poor business. But looking back on it, whatever the investment would have cost to get Sting Undertaker at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. If you had to give the guy ten million dollars, I'm just uh, saying the door to that is still open. Still open, but I mean, let's be honest. I mean, and I love both guys. You wanted to see it 20 years ago. Yeah, oh, of course. I'm just saying there there would be like a Robert De Niro, Sylvester Stallone style grudge match if you ever saw <laughs> that really bad boxing movie. It would be exactly like that. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no. Yeah, you're right. This, this is a good show to talk about because there's a lot going on before the show, after the show, throughout this year, as well as a really good roster, even without the guys that have that are going to come over in the next you know year, two years or so from WCW. Let's get right into SummerSlam 2001. Let the bodies hit the floor. We're gonna hear that a few times throughout the night with the uh, the video packages. We get an intro with clips of really everyone and. Nothing, you know, crazy about the video package. It was just crazy craziness for the time. Little, little um, tidbits of every match and a lot of the the stuff going on between the the WWF and the Alliance, and then huge pyro to kick things off. And the one thing I will say, and this is what we will, we're going to notice about this show in this time period, the energy all night. I mean, the crowd is just into everything going on, and we get we get a great announced team here. Heyman is really good next to JR. They have a chemistry that was way back to WCW, early, early WCW, where they used to call a lot of shows together when Heyman was in the uh, Dangerous Alliance, led that. And this is just good. It's one of those things where there's not a lot of bad to go through and pick out in the commentary. We like to make fun of a lot of the things they say. There just really isn't, because they do such a damn good job off of of one another. JR is just... Peak JR at the end of the show He's starting to lose his voice a little bit Because he's just so into it And we uh, Yeah so he welcomes us with Paul Heyman And we are Ready for the IC title match It is Lance Storm versus 
edge and Lance Storm comes out. If I could be serious for a minute, please, <laughs> which is always funny uh, when he cut his little promo and then he's interrupted by Edge's music. So this was the what? Just the you think you know me. And then it, it wasn't the, the the one we know now that his music's had a few different iterations, but I think it still had that uh, that little quick start. And guys, I mean, we'll start with DZ, quick pace to this match. And this is early edge as a singles competitor We see because he's got the stuff going on with Christian Where Christian comes in and gets involved towards the end um, Heyman mentions that the WWE superstars have been choking Because they lost that over at Invasion Edge goes flying off the apron and Early lances in charge He hits a face for a suplex for two um, and, and then what I like too, DZ, we see throughout the night One thing that I thought they did do well was We get the shots of the locker room Everybody in the locker room kind of in that Hey, we are part of WWF I thought that was a good little thing Lots of things they did wrong But I didn't mind that flashing back throughout the night Yeah, that, that was fine um, you, know, the, you know, rooting for the WWF guys To try to build up the old invasion angle uh, Yeah, I mean, you know I, I'm just so, I was just so sour on it There, there really wasn't much that they could do to appease me anyway, but yeah. you know, I mean, that, that was fine. I, I didn't mind that at all. Um, yeah. I mean, this match, look, crowd's really hot for it. Uh, it is a, it is a good wrestling match. Um, it is a very good wrestling match. I should say uh, a lot of good moves, technically sound. You get a lot of cool moves. You get, you get a good jawbreaker in there. You get a, a, a cool roll up by edge where at one point he actually like slides towards the corner and catches Landstrom coming at him and rolls it into a, a small package, which looked like a real smooth kind of, you know, neat move. You have a, a block crucifix. You get one of those cool power slams in, in midair. There's some hurricane runners that go into power bombs. I mean, it's, it's just a really good technically sound wrestling match that the crowd is really, really into. Um, I'm going to be honest though. I didn't love the ending and I didn't love the ending because it, it kind of confused me in that, it feels they, backwards. It's backwards, right? Exactly. It's like, it's like heel booking. Edge, Edge is the baby face. Everybody loves Edge, right? Um, Christian comes out and tries to spear Lance Storm, ends up hitting Edge. That's kind of like the heel move. Mm-hmm. Like That's what would happen to the heel in an intercontinental title match. Then, of course, you know it looks like Edge is going gonna, is gonna to get beat. You know, Storm hits Christian with the super kick, covers Edge, only gets the two count, and then you get the old execution, uh, uh, the DDT move, and Edge wins, and the crowd blows up. But yeah, it was a really good match, but it left me a little bit quizzical at the end, Andrew, because I felt like, wait, like I literally had to go back and watch it because I was like, wait a minute, am I wrong here? Wasn't Edge like the big baby face? Because the match ended as if Edge was the heel, and I didn't really get it. Yeah, that was a little bit curious, but I got to tell you, I was digging the match the whole way through. I thought it was excellent. Hot take. Lance Storm comes in in his prime today. He's instantly one of the top guys on any roster. That's how really good, good a worker he was. He's and really he came, good. He's he so came good along at the wrong it. time. Mm-hmm. And he came along at a time where if a match went six or eight minutes, nobody cared how good it was. Nobody yep. cared how technically and sound it, it was. He wasn't small enough to be a cruiserweight and work those kinds of matches in the cruiserweight division. He wasn't big enough to be a heavyweight and go move for move with guys like The Rock and Austin. If he comes out today on NXT, 30-year-old Lance Storm, 
magic. It's fantastic. And there are so many guys that he could do such a great job with. I mean, can you imagine peak Lance Storm against Finn Balor? That would be awesome. I would oh, love I that. And I'd Rollins. love so many, so yeah. many other good guys like that. Now, the other thing that I liked is really early on in the match, they talk about how both guys are graduates of the Heart Dungeon. Yep. Of course, yep. Lance Storm trained in the class with Chris Jericho, among others. And mm-hmm. Edge came in a couple of years later. Fun fact, one of the great wrestling names of all time was Edge's name on the independent circuit for a while. Sexton Hardcastle. <laughs> Tremendous <laughs> yeah. name. It Loved good. it. Now, the other thing that I had forgotten about that WWE wants you to forget about because it didn't make any sense at the time and it makes no sense now, they tried to book Edge and Christian as brothers. Well, yeah. yeah, that's funny. And With it the gra- never oh, worked. Yeah. It, it was really never funny. never worked. It yeah. was so bad, and you knew it was bad, and you knew that they knew it was bad because you yeah. could read their body language yeah. and like, nobody's going to buy this. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Fun Easter egg. You mentioned the crowd in the back. Among the members of that crowd are truth then yeah. known as K quick quick. And I uh, tell you the guy does not age. He doesn't he look any different. Exactly the same. He's in phenomenal he's shape. Having, I want it. Our crew, the K quick getting round, or it was, a uh, um, our, uh, road dog and K quick getting rowdy. Yeah. They were, uh, they were together for a little while. And, and yeah, you know what I get? there's a couple of really good Lance Storm matches that are kind of hard to find and you wouldn't think of it, but if you go on YouTube, and you look up Lance Storm, there's actually a match from WCW Thunder with one of the guys that I think Andrew liked, good old Juventude Guerrero. Is, oh, is nice. Match. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually a damn good match, and you know it's going to be good because it's, it's Juventude Guerrero versus Lance Storm from Thunder, and it's got 46,000 views on yeah. YouTube. <laughs> so, so i got to go look for that. That's kind of awesome. Thanks for yeah. looking out, man. Yeah, no, it, it is, and, then, and there's actually some really cool stuff from Tennessee Valley on YouTube with, with Jericho and Lance Storm uh, when they were when they were a, a tag team. Whose name? What was the, the name thrill of Thrill Seekers? The yeah, Thrill Seekers. Yeah. 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 So there's actually some stuff from Tennessee Valley and Smoky Mountain with the with the Thrill Seekers on, on YouTube. That's actually pretty cool too. And what I like about when they're sitting backstage, they actually are sitting like you would watch TV. You know, nowadays, sometimes when they show clips of guys, it's like they're standing off to the side in this weird angle. It's like nobody watches TV like that because they have to shoot them that way. It's just give me a shot of the guy sitting down watching the TV like a normal person would. <laughs> That's just what we get here, at least, before they try to get a little too cute. Um, yeah, and we get the thing with, with Storm, just some nice, unique holds that are just it's a little bit different offense than you see from everybody else. And that's what's great. Um Edge counters Lance off the ropes into a power slam, and then Edge hits his, a form of a the the what the neck breaker, and he has Lance pinned. And then Lance kicks Edge in the face with his opposite leg to break up the pin. I don't know if I've seen that. That's a great spot breaking up the pin with your like your opposite foot, just crazy. And um, and these guys had some good chemistry, and we could see Edge. He didn't quite have it all yet, but as a singles competitor, but he was he was getting really, really close. And then Darren mentioned the Christian part, um, and then Edge ends up still hitting the win, the uh, executioner for the win. New IC champ, crowd liked it, fun opener. This thing went just over 11 minutes here um, to kick things off. 
And we get a test in the Dudleys backstage Michael Cole, young looking Michael Cole This was a fun era for Cole Where he had like the earring And he had the like real tight t-shirts a lot of the time Yeah, the and... too small t-shirt I think that was a medium I think that's yeah. the word for it Yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, test explains why he turned on the WWF And then, oh uh, this is great This, one of my, you know, I'm not big on you know, there was a lot of stuff during the, the Attitude Era with the way Jerry Lawler was with the, the women, with the puppies, and different things here and there, and a lot of stuff that we look back on and we cringe. And even the Jericho stuff, what he's saying about Stephanie is probably, but it still, to me, comes off a little bit different just because it's Stephanie, the owner. You know what I mean? Like, actually, we know she's a big part of this. We know she, her and Jericho had amazing chemistry through the years when they were, you know, against each other on the mic, or even when they're a little while when they were aligned together. And then Jericho's backstage with Lillian. He first he calls her Vivian, which is a gimmick he still does to this day. And uh, he said uh, he's never tamed the vicious rhino, but you know how the saying goes: "There's a first time for everything," and you never forget your first. Take Stephanie for example. I'm sure she remembers her first time. I'm sure it was quite the experience for Stephanie and the captain of the football team, and the basketball team. And the swimming team, and the volleyball team, and the French club, and the Latin club, and the AV club, and Olaf, the foreign exchange student. <laughs> Gino, by the way, speaking as a former member of the AV club, we don't we don't get a lot of action in high school. So you appreciate the shout out. You <laughs> did all. Yeah, gotta tell you. Yep, yep. This was just hilarious, and. um he says uh, Steph is feeling extra confident with home court advantage in the Silicon Valley. He said he's going to do something that Stephanie has no concept of. Leave him flat. Uh, at, around this time period, Stephanie had some uh, some implants, so uh, th- that was something that they like to make mention of quite a bit. And Paul Heyman, Paul Heyman playing the straight guy, playing kind of dumb throughout the show is a little bit funny. He does it a few different times, and this is one of them. What do you think he means by that? And it's Silicon Valley, not Silicon Valley, just real straight. And uh, then we're into Spike Dudley and the APA versus Test and the Dudley boys. Hey, you give me these six guys, and it's going to be just over seven minutes. They didn't give me too much. They didn't try to do anything that they can't do here. This is, you know, five of the six guys that are big bruisers with sort of limited offense, but still really nice in the ring. They know what they're doing. And Spike and Devon go at it early. Bubba comes in and he picks Spike up. He drops him um, like across the top rope on his midsection and he just flies and bounces. Spike is just getting destroyed by everybody. Test hits a nasty spine buster on him. Um, Dudley set up a table outside. Crowd going insane, chanting for APA. Spike makes a hot tag to JBL, who comes in like a house of fire. Lots going on all over the place. And Sky, uh, Spike gets caught and tossed through a table out of nowhere. Shane O'Mac just comes flying. This was a great spot. You don't even know. You're not thinking about Shane at all. And then all of a sudden, he comes from off the screen, just flying out of nowhere to uh, with a chair to JBL. The last two minutes of this match were insane. They, there was just so much stuff going on. Shane flying in out of nowhere. JBL's waiting to pin test. And... Um, and and then Schmaz and we get the Dudley boys and Test end up defeating the APA with distraction because of Shane out there. They end up getting the W. Yeah, I mean, if this thing went, they, they to me, Darren, they knew what they were doing here. You get this match in, you get it quick, you get the spots that you want, you get the table spot, spikes flying around, he gets 
he gets destroyed, man. This guy, I got a lot of respect for Spike when I watch a lot of his stuff back. Yeah, I mean, this match, what I like, like you said, it really kind of hit on everything you, you want to see. Like, you don't want this match to go too long. Nope. Yeah, it was the perfect amount. Everybody gets their hits in. They get their moves in. You get Spike flying all over the place, which is always a good time. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's one move in the ring where he just gets launched in the air and just comes crashing down on his face. It looked like he was 20 feet in the air. Um, but when he when he goes flying into the table, like they did it, like the match wasn't long, but it was good enough and the action in the ring was like hot enough, especially, you know, when JBL came in like a house of fire with Test. I mean, it had a great one, one minute to, you know, 90 seconds there of what he was doing with Test, you know, the, the the running clotheslines and the swinging nightbreaker and just beating the hell out of everybody. And, you know, him and uh, Simmons come in and they hit, they hit uh, you know, Bubba with that uh, kind of like double choke slam move. And you kind of – all that stuff going on, and you kind of forget that, oh, yeah, there's still this table out there on the, on the apron. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. I, even me watching, I completely forgot about it. And all of a sudden – like like air canada going out of like you know pearson airport just like seemingly 25 feet in the air and goes flying through this table in front of the announcement where i literally watching him i went holy shit like you know like where did that come from but yeah it, it hit on everything the shane mcmahon flying steel chair shot oh my gosh Oh, it was great. It was great. Um, he flies. Shane is great. Like, two of my favorite guys that flop and fly around in this era were Spike and Shane. And we yeah. get them both in here. Just at it, like you said, you're not expecting. And then, oh, somebody just tosses Spike. Or, oh, what the hell? Where did Shane come from? Just off yeah. camera flying. It was great. And and, and, and later on in the uh, in the night, Shane takes a sick bump on the on the apron from, from JBL when he hits his clothesline where – it literally looks like he's gonna take Shane's head off, uh, and he hits hard on the apron. But yeah, but but this particular match, you know, for for what it was meant to be and for what it was, like you said, they didn't try to do too much. They hit on all their spots. Is it the greatest wrestling match of all time? No, but I, I it was highly entertaining, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. For what this was, I thought this was highly entertaining. Now yeah. you'd mentioned a lot of stuff, both of you, about. Spike Dudley, the human crash test dummy, being what he was and just getting his ass kicked from pillar to post by anybody that laid a hand on him. I mean, that's a hard way to make a living, what Spike Dudley wound up having to do night in and night out. Um, Spike and the Dudleys, I don't know if this happened at the time or if it was an overdub when they uploaded this to the network. You guys catch they still had the same music? Yeah. That was really weird. I mean, it's one of those things where you're just like, well, why not just keep the music going just so the other guys come out? It's really strange. (laughs) I never got the logic behind it. Exactly. Now, you guys sort of both hit on the stuff that I was going to talk about. This was a really good use of seven minutes. Nobody lost anything in defeat. Everybody got their offense in. People wind up looking good, and the Alliance gets one of its few victories on the evening here. This would be a recurring theme. It's one of the big problems I have with WWF at this time, but they get something here. The problem was 
This was about all they got. Yeah, very, very few bites at the apple, which you got to do the opposite. You got to let, you got to make the guys coming in seem more, very, very important. Whether it be cheating means or whatever, that's fine. You just, you got to put them over. And then you're going to put WWF over at the end. That's fine. But you got to give them more wins along the way to make them feel more credible. Um, the, yeah. We then we get to the uh, the edge uh, and Christian stuff backstage. So Edge is celebrating his win, and Christian comes in and says, "Man, I got a European title match against Matt Hardy on Raw Monday." And he looks over, and Matt Hardy's just right there as he's like celebrating with Chris with Edge, which is really funny to think about afterwards because it's Edge and Lita and Hardy all in there, buddy, buddy. You know, before all the stuff ends up happening with them, um, and and so Christian uh, is there sitting there, and Grandma Edna calls. And she wants to talk to Edge, and she hangs up before Christian gets the chance to tell her about how he's excited about his uh, urge. Can we talk about the primitive phone that they were using? Yeah, I think (laughs) all of us had that phone at some point in our upbringings. The little, either I I think it was a Nokia or a cellular Mm -hmm. one, like the block. Yeah, yes, the block with snake on it. With snake Snake was my jam. Oh, that was some good stuff. That was some good stuff. But uh, this is yeah, this is what Darren referenced earlier. And then, uh, and then after this DZ, so you can comment on either of these two. Deborah, who is uh, Stone Cold's wife at the time, former Deborah McMichael. Um, so she is backstage, and Sean Stasiak wants to talk to Austin. He thinks his pink tights are his problem. He wants to impress Steve. And uh, I mean, Deborah, great looking. She's such a bad actress. It is like just having to do canned lines. They just all sound so. Unnatural to me So these two things backstage any comments on the other of those Um Yeah I mean the best thing out of this Is that uh after uh, A wrestling career Sean Stasiak will go on To be a successful chiropractor in Texas I, I don't know yeah. what else <laughs> Um there's yeah the acting is terrible Um it, you know The comic relief part okay I get what you're trying To do but you know that that was a minute Of my life I didn't get back yeah, um, unnatural and Deborah McMichael. Uh, yeah, th- those two things tend to go together, especially given <laughs> well, what she wound up being most famous for during her time with the World Wrestling Federation. Very, Just saying, I'm sorry well. that was a layup. Move on. Very well played. And then we, before we get to Tajiri versus X Pac, and then Jr. said this line over and over again. It still sort of makes me cringe a little bit when he says the old Goofy is a pet coon, uh, coon line. But um, that's one of Jr.'s classic lines. We know what he's saying. It just is just sort of not quite PR. You can't say yeah. it today. Yeah. Nowadays, and Jr. still gets away. Jr. still slips some of those things in nowadays uh, when he's calling over on AEW. Um, we go Tajiri versus X Pac. I mean. One of the more forgotten guys, I think, is Tajiri because he, you know, you you think of him of maybe some of the stuff with Regal and maybe some goofy stuff here and there. Man, this guy could strike a lot of his ECW stuff where they treated him a little more seriously than the WWF did was excellent. And this match goes seven minutes, and for a lot of it, I, I mean, it, it was really good. I mean, Tajiri has X Pac hanging upside down in the center, and then he hits his baseball slide into X Pac's face. He gets the tarantula on. Xbox counters off the top rope with this crazy near fall. Tajiri is so fast with his strikes and his counters. We get an Xbox somersault over the top onto Tajiri. He hits the X Factor, but just for two. And then Tajiri, um, Tajiri's in control, and then Albert comes out to help Xbox. He gets on the apron. Tajiri sprays Albert with the mist, which distracts Tajiri for a second. He turns around, and Xbox 
hits him with the X factor. He doesn't have the Uncle Cracker music yet, which came in a little later. I think I love. I got everything I ever wanted, but X Pac he got what he wanted, and uh, he got the W right here. Hey, another match where DZ seven minutes. They it's like they knew they were going short. So the first few minutes of this, they are just flying. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. For me, this match kind of was a tale of two matches. Um, The first four minutes or so I thought were great. The last three minutes were okay. Um, It's almost like they they went so hard so fast early that they kind of hit the climax and peaked a little little too soon. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some good moves in the second half of the match. You know, there was a nice German suplex by Chaziri, and they did that kind of – you know, that somersault plant into the floor and stuff like that. Um, you know, there were some good spots, and and I thought I thought it was a really good match. Um, you know, I thought the first half was better than the second half. You hit on really kind of all the moves that, that I had. Um, you got you get that Tajiri, the, the red mist later, which, uh, you know, when he would go to New Japan, would become the green mist. And, and by the way, Tajiri actually has a really uh, good couple of years in New Japan Pro where mm-hmm. he does a lot of work with Tanahashi. And, uh, you know, there's some of those matches on YouTube as well that, that are worth looking at because he is a very good striker and a good worker. And when put with the right guy, uh, you know, really has some really good matches. But, yeah, I mean, uh, out of the first three matches, this is probably my least favorite of the three, but it's not because it's bad. It's it's good. And I thought that the first two were a little bit more entertaining, but that's just because, for me, the second half of the match kind of tailed off a little bit. But, you know, three-star match for me. I liked this match, and I don't want my comments to think that I didn't, but there are a couple of things that are worth pointing out here. First of all, this was a unification match between the cruiserweight and the light heavyweight. This would be the last official title change for the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. It wound up getting removed from TV later that year after X-Pac got hurt. They would do a couple of things with it at house shows. They would try Kidman out as the champ. He would wind up doing a couple of matches, but the belt was officially retired in March of 2002. So a little bit of trivia there. Here was my problem with the cruiserweight division at the time. Where's Rey Mysterio? Where are the luchadors? Yeah. Why should I care? And that's not a knock on Tajiri. I like Tajiri. You guys mentioned the stuff he did with William Regal. Just look at the video that WWE has on their YouTube page from when Tajiri came back for the Cruiserweight Classic back in 2016. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember. He was great in there. Yeah. They did a bit in the lobby with Tajiri running into Regal and Regal looking at the cameraman like, oh my God, what the hell am I doing here? Because they had that tremendous comedic chemistry. And Regal did a segment on WWE Storytime too, where he talks about how much he quote-unquote hated Tajiri. There's a story about how they would go hundreds of miles driving without music. It's really funny stuff. And Tajiri was a hell of a worker. Sean Waltman, when he was of sound mind, was a hell of a worker. The problem is... Waltman's only 28 years old here, and it seems like he's been around forever. JR talks about how he got his first payday as a wrestler when he was 15 years old. And when you think about it, he was playing the same exact character that invaded WCW five years earlier as part of the NWO. So crowds were starting to turn against him. JR actually has to go on commentary and say, some fans may think Xbox sucks. I don't. 
which you know is somebody feeding him a line, a.k.a. Vince. Now, the match itself was pretty darn good. Both of these guys could work. They were both heavily intent on bringing it, one of the biggest shows of the year. Uh, Heyman refers to this as WWF on WWF violence. Gino, you like Heyman's performance here a lot more than I do. I thought the structure of this match actually made Heyman far more listenable than he was on some of the other matches, namely the two main events. We'll get there. I don't want to sidetrack it too much, but I've got one question. Am I crazy for not liking the tarantula as a move? And it's no, it just doesn't make sense. Well, it, that's it's the, the problem. Same reason I don't like the ring post figure for Bret Hart. Yeah, did. And I get that. You can't win a match with it. Sure. And I understand and I get that. it's a signature spot. I understand nobody else was doing it at the time, but when you can only hold it for five seconds in a conventional match, eh, doesn't really sit well with me. Still, good match. Can't complain about anything here. Just a couple of auxiliary things going on on the side to where it affected my overall interest level for the match. And th- yeah, and that's what, what's nice about a good show is that when there's solid matches throughout, we're noticing just little things about each match that we maybe didn't like as much as we liked about the one before. But um, yeah, not, just not a whole lot bad here. Just toward, like, Darren, I think you hit it, and I felt similar. It did feel like sort of two different matches. The, the beginning was real quick, a lot of pace, and then the end got a little schmozzy there. It sort of slowed down, and then uh, with Albert coming out. Then we get poor Perry Saturn, who's a WWF New York looking for Moppy. He's got her face on a milk carton. He's asking people for help for Moppy. Ugh. Um, hey, fun story about WWF New York. Uh, after they lost the WWF part of the, the name, um, they it actually turned into a, a place called World, uh, which was a club that I actually DJed at about three or four times. In the oh day. wow! Look at that! Yeah. I bet you you love that too. Yeah, I was gonna say you love being being in the place that was the old WWF New York, which oh, God, I want. I wanted to go to so bad, and I see it over and over. At that point, I was like, what seventh grade, eighth grade, right now, just loving when when, when I'd see that up. I want to be there. God, the food's gonna be great, even though I'm sure it was terrible. Um, <laughs> let, let's get to a very young-looking Rhino in the locker room with Stephanie, and he mentions that they mentioned that Jericho's never defeated Rhino. She flubs a line or two, nothing crazy, but it's pretty basic. And then we get the video package for Jericho and Rhino with their build-up. And one of my favorite little Jericho lines, too, at the, towards the end of this, he says, uh, at SummerSlam, I'm going to take care of that smelly, gnarly, nasty animal, and I'm going to get you, too, Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great line. I love that. <laughs> Which is just awesome. And, and then we get Rhino versus Jericho. Huge ovation for Y2J. Heyman says uh, he hates Chris Jericho because he hates a big mouth. He hates obnoxious, loud mouth people. And right. just, just Jr. is like, "What? Getting on him for that?" And I, ladies and gentlemen, I am not obnoxious. <laughs> Heyman could barely get that out without smile. Like you could hear him smirking as he was finishing saying the line, just because he knows. And um, yeah, funny moment there. Jericho's all over Rhino early He goes for the walls of Jericho real early He goes up to the top rope And Stephanie distracts him He jumps off and Rhino um, He jumps off and Rhino gets up And hits a gore Uh, JR calls it a go because he said it's only half a gore Um, Then Stephanie Smacks Y2J Rhino's in control for a while 
Uh, JR says Rhino would look good in WWF colors And Heyman gets mad He says that's tampering Which that was another funny line um, And Stephanie gets on the apron Jericho goes over And he kisses her This is another one that they used to do Like the good guys used to go kiss the, the bad girl valet Or you know the whoever was in the corner of the bad guy And <laughs> could you imagine this in this Like the Me Too era nowadays With just forcibly kissing somebody who's married And you know has another has a significant other um, It just but at this point It didn't feel absurdly out of place It's just one of those things where you look back on you're like you Couldn't do that today um, Rhino Actually locks in the walls of Jericho Jericho's able to get out of it And he puts Rhino in the, the walls Rhino ends up tapping out Stephanie's crying and whining and pouting Which is great after the match And DZ I mean this is this is pretty basic for the most part, you have two guys that are like sort of towards the upper part of the mid card, and this is a good win for Jericho. They had a little bit of a storyline. I think more so than this being a five star, it was a lot to do with Stephanie and the interaction there, which was which was a lot of fun that they had. So, you know, this isn't as good as it, like maybe the main event matches we're going to see later, but solid, fine. You're not usually going to get a whole lot of bad with Jericho. Um, you may have expected a little bit more if you're looking back, you know, as a thinking it's going to be a Jericho classic or anything, but I, it felt like to me it was more about the story. Yeah. Um, you know, with Stephanie back then, man, I really got a kick out of when they, they dressed her up in like, you know, sexy black leather, mm-hmm. they put like the Barbie crimson yeah. hair. Like <laughs> I, I, always, I always got a kick out of like the clash of those two, you know, things. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a good match. Um, you know, if you if you didn't watch Rhino until like his later years in WWE, you know, you really didn't know how how like much he could move for a guy his size. Um, you know, so, yeah, I'll let you do it, buddy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, he, um, you know, it re- watching back some of his older stuff, you you really forget that you know the bumps that he would take and some of the things that he would do. You know, you, they really kind of surprise you. Um, there's a spot in this match where uh, Jericho climbs to the top rope and and Rhino hits him with the spear slash gore on the apron. Um, it is timed perfectly because Rhino hits him a split millisecond after Jericho has his legs on the floor. So when you hit it that way, you hit it safely. And it looks bad. But it's the safe way to do it. Years later, they would try to recreate that with Shane McMahon and Roman Reigns at the oh, Survivor Series. Gosh. <laughs> and it did not go as safely because Roman hit him in the chest as he was still coming through the air. And when you do that, you just get knocked on the back of your head and basically unconscious. Um, so it's kind of interesting if you watch those yep. two. There's the safe way to do it, and then there's the not safe way to do the same move. Um, yeah, I mean, really, really, I enjoyed it. Um, is it a Jericho classic? No. Uh, but look, I mean, Jericho classic is is a very lofty bar to set. Uh, it's, a, it's a very good match. I would probably say it's probably one of Rhino's better singles matches in WWE. Yeah. Um, there's some good moves. There's good spine busters. There's good lion salts, springboard moon salts. I mean, you, you get, you know, all, all the good stuff. And I also, uh, oh, by the way, that's ESPN telling me that the Yankees are not winning. That Didn't it? Didn't it? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, on top of that, 
man, back then, I used to love the way that he did the walls of Jericho. When when he would kind of, you know, keep it upright where it wasn't sitting into a Boston crab, and he would almost like dig the that knee, the knee in the back. Yep. Yeah, in the back. Man, it looked so sweet when he did the walls of Jericho that way. And as he got kind of older, I don't know if it was hard to hold it that way and it was more difficult, whatever, but it would kind of move towards more of a Boston crab. And mm-hmm. man, I really love watching the walls of Jericho when he did it that way. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's a three-star match. Good match. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Hey, guys, do you know what Rhino was? <laughs> Let's hear it. Rhino was a not so big guy who could move everybody i'm gonna propose something to you when i see rhino i see the prototype version of rusev yeah. guys who if they were four inches taller yep. yeah. would have gone so much further and mm-hmm. I know Rusev isn't done yet. I know he just signed an AEW. I know there's a lot of guys he could potentially work with. He's a really good worker, and I'm excited to see the opportunities there. But when I look at these guys, yeah, they're imposing right up until the opening stare down where the other guy yes. who isn't a giant is going nose to nose with him. And at that point, that's where the problems start. Because it's one of those like they use somebody said it. I can't remember who. I think it might have been David Shoemaker um, on the Masked Man, who does a lot of really good uh, uh, wrestling writing. He does on the Ringer. He said, you know, Randy Orton is the prototype. And if you stand across in the ring from Randy Orton and you're just you don't you're either too big. I, sometimes you tower over him too much, or you're too far below. You got to be in that like eye level with Randy Orton. And that was one of the things with Rusev. You hit it right on. It's like three inches more for this guy, and he is. Absolutely at one point a world champion In the WWE no doubt about it They yeah. just they almost got there with him A couple times with, with Cena stuff they just They never you never really felt like they were All the way behind him it's a great comparison with Rhino yeah and Rhino Make no mistake had a great Power based move set His gore was maybe One tenth of the Impact of Goldberg's spear It still got over there's a reason you had Paul Heyman going nuts yelling, okay, everybody, join in with me. Gore! 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 Really? <laughs> I was the only one to do that? Come <laughs> on! <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ, people! Both of you have kids! Let out your energy! <laughs> anyway, so this was a good match. I liked this match. It seemed like more of a house show match, sort of complete with some of the smoke and mirrors that you'd see when guys don't quite want to get it out of second gear. The spot with Jericho jumping into the spear, that was pretty darn cool. The stuff with Jericho and Stephanie, yeah, you could do that today. But for the time, it was really good. And the reason it resonated is this was the bratty little princess getting her comeuppance from somebody who was a Bugs Bunny type of face where Anytime Stephanie tried something, he'd come back with the wrestling equivalent of, of course, you know, this means war. And that's why it worked. Uh, We've mentioned this promo in the past, but the one that I remember is Jericho and The Rock on the stage with Rhino, Booker T, and Stephanie in the ring at SmackDown, and then going back and forth with insults to the people in the ring. That's a tremendous promo. It's an all-timer, and you can see both guys struggling to avoid laughing as they're delivering their lines. <laughs> if you haven't seen it in a while, it's on YouTube somewhere or it's on Daily Motion somewhere. Go find it. It's a classic. 
Jericho always delivers the goods. This was fun. Um, up next, we've got another really fun match. It's RVD versus Jeff Hardy in the hardcore ladder match. And I mean, it's exactly what you would expect from these two guys. The crowd loves both of these guys. And Heyman said that RVD was called Mr. Pay-Per-View in ECW. We get a great back and forth to start, both showing off their speed, their high-flying ability. Hardy, you know, before we get into the match, could we just talk quickly about Sean Stasiak? <laughs> oh, I missed that one. Oh, okay, I missed that. That was good. fantastic. Good. Okay, I, I was going to Go bring that up, too. My God. <laughs> we, have, we have to talk about that. Regal and The Rock are having this serious conversation about, you know, The Rock's condition, everything that happened. Look, Smack tea, everything, yeah. yeah, man, all that did was piss off The Rock. And then Stacia just comes flying into the picture, misses everybody, and just crashes head first into the, into like the, you know, the, the gate that comes. Like they just kind of, The Rock just takes like a step back. And the guy just launched it. It was just, I, I was dying. Yeah, Absolutely funny. dying. <laughs> was, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And, and you know, he says something, and Regal's, Regal is just great. Like his bouncing off the rock and rocks. Do, do you smell it? The rock is cooking. You know, he does, and Regal just gives him, like, like he's sniffing, like the sniff. Uh, just, he's great. His faces are just amazing. Um, yeah, that's a, so that was right before we got to. I'm glad you uh, you stopped me before we got too deep into the RVD Hardy, which was next, that hardcore ladder match. And I mean, yeah, flying around early. Hardy, he does hip toss from the apron and tosses RVD from the ring to the floor, which is a unique spot. Um, then. Hardy hits this springboard backflip It's like a twisting corkscrew Right by the announce table RVD with the leg drop to Jeff Who's draped over the ring barricade And then Harvey comes fl- uh, Hardy comes flying off the railing And blind signs RVD Who's carrying a ladder It was kind of a the, the story of this match You know if there's a story In a crazy ladder match like this It was you know one up What can you do I can do better And they would sort of go back and forth Where one would hit a, a big spot And have about a minute in control And then the other would hit a big spot And have about a minute in control And what I like Really innovative stuff Innovative stuff with the ladder And we don't see a bunch of those Slow climbs to the top There's a couple of them But not many In some of the ladder matches nowadays You get way too many Where we could tell up oh, they're not going to get the ladder this time They're crawling There were The The, the Times they got on the ladder, they were using it They were climbing up it, using it to jump off And some really, really unique stuff here um, Of course, the the end people will probably remember a lot Because there's sort of a botch uh, towards the end where um, So Hardy is climbing up for to get the belts And RVD hits the ladder So Hardy's hanging by the belts and he's swinging And he is really swinging Like back and forth He's trying to get some momentum build up Because they've got the spot where RVD is supposed to to hit him with a kick And RVD jumps Goes for the spinning kick And he, he misses And and you know what They they do as best of a job as you could of playing it off They Hardy kind of just keeps swinging a little bit And then he falls JR helps as much as he can by saying Hardy slipped, he couldn't hold on up there anymore And then you could tell they end up having to Kind of go to a different spot because that was I think supposed to be one of the big uh, Finish spots, so that, so Jeff Ends up having to climb again, and he takes A nasty fall into the ropes RVD climbs up and grabs the belt So, you know, you take out The last minute and a half, it's a Sloppy ending, but these guys were going At it, and this was, 
You know, RVD is really at his prime. Hardy's still a little bit away from his prime, maybe. And it's crazy because these two guys still go at it now. JR makes a point at one throughout the match at one point. He says, with these guys' style, you wonder what it's going to be like down the road. It's amazing that you still see Hardy show up in Impact TNA, and you I mean you still see RVD show up there? And Jeff has got a you know has got a, one of his better runs he's had right now. Yeah, and and Jeff just signed a new contract, by the way. So we're going to get some yeah. more in WWE, which, quite frankly, surprised the hell out of me. Um, but uh, and we could talk about that at, at another time. But yeah, so we'll get more of him in, in WWE. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, great job in using the ladder. I mean, when you do a ladder match, you know, and, and back then, I mean, you're talking about just one ladder. Um, you know, but it, it wasn't like there was 12 ladders around the ring. Um, this was just great use of the ladder. So many, you know, different ways that, you know, showed the ingenuity that the two of them had. You know, I mean, they, there's like, you know, they spend two minutes in, in one corner where, you know, they do three or four different things with the ladder, including, you know, uh, it looks like Jeff gets hit in the face with it at one point when, you know, RBD kind of slingshots onto it. And then there's another spot. You talked about that, you know, that kind of springboard, you know, backflip onto RBD when he's on the ladder. And then there's another spot where Jeff, I mean, it looks so smooth. But, you know, imagine a spot where there's a guy laying on a ladder and you have to fly off the ropes, jump over the other rope, and land on the other side of the ladder that's sticking out of the ring apron so that the ladder comes up and hits the other guy. And, I mean, you know, spots like that are just, you know, we look at it and maybe we don't react to it the way it should, but, man, it, it, they make it look so easy. Uh, and it's really not. And, and it is a shame that you kind of had that botch because the match was was so damn good. And I really don't want to say, you know, to take anything away from the match because of it, but because that was at such a I know. match, you know, you could kind of forget about it more if it happened six or seven minutes in, and you, and you can't help but think that maybe that was supposed to be the end of the mm-hmm. match, um, which really hurts. And, and you could tell that Jeff is pissed off because he is like slamming his fist on the apron after the, you know, the botch and he falls and has to like, Kind of recreate what they're going to do, and I, you know he's probably trying to make it out like he's slamming his fist in pain, but he's pissed. Yep. Uh, that the that the you know that the spot didn't happen the way that they planned. And and to be honest with you, in thinking about it, um, I don't know how you're going to hit that spinning kick. Leap that frog, is so leap, ambitious. Oh my like gosh! Second, not even off the top, like off the second rope. You got to go not only to back to the middle of the ring, but you got to go up. And he's you know, moving. I, it's yeah, even worse. I mean, he's not standing goes, still. <laughs> I mean, even if you hit the guy, where are you going to hit him on the shin? Like, you know, it's not going to. I mean, I, I listen, hats off to the creativity, and I give him credit for the attempt. But looking back on that, there's probably no way in hell that that was going to work. But, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's, you get a superplex off the ladder. There's another really cool spot where, where RVT, RVD takes a fall off the ladder that looks brutal when he lands on his legs. And you talked about, you know, Jeff taking a, a mean fall later. Um, you have one of those kind of, uh, you know, makeshift power bombs off the ladder. Uh, I mean, there's just so much stuff going on. It's, it's really well done. I, it's a four-star match. If it wasn't for the botch, I probably would have even given it four and a half stars. I mean, that's how much I enjoyed it. I really liked this match. 
I just need, I got a couple of comments here. First of all, we've watched a lot of shows from a lot of different eras. We've seen wrestlers that were over with a female crowd. I have never heard as high a pitch a pop as we heard when Jeff Hardy's music hit the dun, 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 dun. All of a sudden, every woman in the building is fawning over this guy. And I'm looking at, wait a minute. This guy weighs 150 pounds soaking wet. He's wearing this mesh shirt sort of thing. Like, he didn't have one of his better haircuts going on at the time either. I, I, I don't get it. I don't get any of this, but okay. So I want to like RVD so much more than I do. When RVD is doing the stuff that only he can do, he is tremendous. That rolling thunder spot, kind of cool. To steal a phrase from Bill Simmons, though, the table test is a really strange thing with him because he brings a lot to the table but he takes a lot off the table too because there's certain things he tries that don't make a lot of sense. See also the finish to the match. There are also certain times where he's supposed to be hurt, but can't do the stuff that he's supposed to do if he's selling. Yeah. So middle part of the match, he does a thing where he does this really cool leg drop onto the ladder over the top rope thing. And that was pretty cool. It was a little slingshot thing, whatever. The rest of the match, he can't decide whether or not he's supposed to be selling the ankle because he's selling the ankle, he's selling the ankle. Then he runs to the ropes at full speed to do something else. It's one of those things where I'm just like, I want to love what you do, but that's sort of a basic thing. No, it's that got me a little bit. And Gino, you mentioned it. When the matches are really good, we see things that we wouldn't see if the matches were horrendous. Mm -hmm. This was a really good match. It was billed as a hardcore ladder match, and I'm thinking, oh, God, these guys are going to go crazy with garbage and weapons and Mm -hmm. whatnot. They didn't. It was one ladder. It was really cool. I liked the way they did it. There were some really good spots. There was one really stupid spot, and it wasn't the botched finish. I'll be with Darren. Points for creativity on that. The stupid bump was RVD's climbing the ladder. Hardy hits a drop kick onto the ladder. RVD falls down right on top of him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a stupid bump. And there's no Mm -hmm. way around it. That is a stupid bump. Yep. They get it back 30 seconds later, though, because they both go to the top and RVD gets a suplex off the top of the ladder. That's the good part. The great, fantastic, transcendent part is we get the camera shot from where the belt is. Yeah, that's a good shot. Straight down. That was brilliant. I wish they would do more of that in ladder matches. You know they have the camera technology to do it. When it is done right, it is outstanding. And that added to the match because not only do you see the suplex from up top, you see the ring shake when they land. That was really cool. Very good match. Can't call it a great match, but these two guys, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting a really good match with some really good bumps. Each guy, there's some stuff to nitpick, but this was one of their better matches, both of them. (laughs) These guys were like battling over the TNA title about like 
11 years after this, I think in like 2012-ish around then. Um, yeah, the, not, just the a couple little, little things here and there, but again, very good. We get to Booker T and Shane O'Mac backstage. Shane gives him uh, some bookends from the table that he put the rock through the other day. And Book, tell me you did not just do that. And then he dedicates his match to Shane. We see the Brothers of Destruction Undertaker and Kane with Undertaker's wife Sarah, wife at the time, Sarah And then we get the build-up package For DDP the Stalker And uh, DDP and Canyon Versus the Brothers of Destruction Who better than Canyon? Here comes DDP and Canyon DDP's reluctant to get down the aisle This is a tag team championship Unification match in a steel cage Heyman calls Canyon and DDP The greatest WWF tag team champions of all time And JR just appalled um, Both men They they say that they, both men have to either escape or be pinned Taker shakes the cage when he rocks down And a massive response for the bros of destruction Sarah padlocks the cage And JR says that uh, Paige deserves to get the hell beat out of him And before we even really get into it This is another bummer too Because Darren, DDP had a really good And I don't know if it would have worked Or how they would have done it Because they're kind of booking the alliance As the heels in this scenario But DDP as the people's champion The everyday man The guy who you didn't expect He was very hot for a while the, He was over He had a little bit of He had a little bit of cachet That you could have used and instead, he's in this really bad stalker gimmick. And immediately, the way he gets just destroyed by Taker and stuff, you just right off the bat, you don't even treat DDP like anything. Yeah, this is tough for me. Because I, I in WCW, I love DDP. Um, for all the reasons that you said. You know, no gimmick. You know, uh, it wasn't over the top. Loved the character. Obviously loved the diamond cutter. Um, you know, was just a really, really cool wrestler that, you know, I mean, the the, the feud that he had with, with Savage was was tremendous. Uh, did a lot of good work. So, you know, this is this is kind of weird for me. Uh, there's a there's a lot of weird stuff in this match. I, I mean I, I found it weird looking back that, you know, they're unifying the belts and in the match, Canyon and DDP are the WWF champs and Undertaker and Kane are the WCW champs. You know, that feels completely backwards. <laughs> um, so that kind of like, you know, surprised me. Um, again, because this is a period of time that I did not watch that much and really did not remember anything about, you know, tag titles for the most part. Um, my God, does Michelle McCool look different, right? 20 years later, it's it, it almost looks like a, a different person. But Almost, right? I mean, it's almost <laughs> like... Undertaker has a tattoo removed too, like right around his sternum area. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. great. I was just talking about it today with Stephanie how funny it is when you look back and you see people with their ex spouses on these things. It's great. Yeah, no, it is. It's great. It's great. Um, but yeah, with, with Undertaker, I'll tell you what though, Undertaker here is is this is like the thinnest I can ever remember seeing him. Like he looks trim compared to. You know, uh, even like, you know, uh, as he would go through, you know, Dead Man and even like the later Undertaker character just looks leaner and, and Kane looks tremendous. Um, look, this is nothing great. It is a kind of elongated ass kicking. 
which is how it's supposed to be booked based on the story. But the problem is I'm not a fan of the story, so yep. I'm really not going to be a fan of the match. Um, you know, a couple of big power moves. You get the boots. You know, you get the choke slams. Every once in a while, Canyon will hit a move or DDP will hit a move. But at no point in this match did you ever really get the impression that the result was going to be anything than what it was. Um, so, yeah, for me, it was okay. But a lot of this kind of left me flat. And it's probably because of how much I like DDP. And the whole story for me was just very, very strange. I'm going to start this off by saying one nice thing. Because I need to say something nice in this segment. You're going to pay is an underrated theme song. We don't remember it because Taker had a couple around this point. He also came out to American Badass. He came out to Rollin' by Limp Biscuit, which is just a horrible tune. But You're Gonna Pay, I remember. I remembered how much I dug that. That was pretty cool. Now, the rest of this stuff. First of all, Gino, I mentioned this about how you were a bigger fan of Heyman during this show than I was. The line that you guys mentioned talking about Heyman saying these guys are the greatest WWF tag team champions of all time. Here's my sticking point. The difference between guys like Jesse Ventura and Bobby Heenan and guys like Paul Heyman, the great heel commentators either had defined reasons to back the heels, AKA Jesse Ventura never liking Hulk Hogan and seeing a whole bunch of nonsense and what he was standing for, or they were so silly that you wanted to hear more from them. That was all Bobby Heenan did. His character was the brain. And when he said ridiculous stuff, it was just part of the shtick. With Heyman, he just came across as a shill. And it was around this time where I seriously contemplated muting the broadcast because it just got so ridiculously annoying when you knew the Alliance guys were not going to win a big match. I don't think that added anything to the product. I am not saying Heyman is a bad color commentator, but I just got sick and tired of him after two hours of constant nonstop alliance blathering. And I know he's supposed to be the heel, and I know that's probably in some ways a good thing. But when's he getting his comeuppance? As it turned out, it was when they rehired Jerry Lawler, who went away for a little while after they got rid of his then love interest. So that, that I didn't particularly care for. And it was around that time where I just, I turned the corner with him and wanted no part of it. Now this match. So Canyon and DDP come out. First of all, Chris Canyon, unbelievably sad story. What happened to him? Another guy that came around 20 years too early from both a wrestling skills standpoint and from a tolerance standpoint, the stuff he had to go through was just unspeakable as far as what he faced as a closet homosexual during his time as a professional wrestler. It's really sad stuff, really sad ending. So him and Diamond Dallas Page come out. Brothers of Destruction come out to a big pop. And when they start coming in the cage, Canyon and Diamond Dallas Page, this is what I wrote, look like the jobbiest jobbers who ever jobbed <laughs> when that do. happens. You know what's going to happen. You know why it's being booked because Vince is the one in charge and Vince won the war. You have Diamond Dallas Page. This guy had legitimate brand equity. One of the few guys coming over from WCW that you could have potentially done something with. 
I'm not yep. saying you could have run with him for five years because he was already well into his forties. I understand that whatever you were going to do with him had to be short, but you're telling me this was the best use of him when you're paying him $300,000 a year. No, absolutely not. So they do this match. Gino, you mentioned the rules. Both guys have to be pinned or escape whatever. It, no, Canyon escapes and bails on DDP. They, well, what's weird is they said they said I'm almost positive both guys have to escape the cage, and they I don't even remember because we don't even see the ref for a lot of the match, do we? No, does he kind of kind of come out of nowhere and then he just comes out of nowhere and he pins? So that was you're right. There was this, everything was a little bit off here. This was like you you hit it like this was like a Vince like ha ha ha. Look at my guys going over there, guys. <laughs> right and. <laughs> No one wanted to see that in that form. The money was in building up the WCW guys. I mean, look at it this way. When Marvel did all of the stuff with Thanos, did they have Thanos lose at every possible opportunity? No. And that's why it worked. So you have the way that that's booked. DDP gets told to leave the cage. He starts climbing up. Really slowly. I hate slow climbs with a passion. And then Taker comes over, does the old just kidding thing, choke slam, good night. They win the titles, whatever. Diamond Dallas Page is never a draw in wrestling ever again. And that really stinks because there was so much more they could have done with him that they just refused to do. And he deserved far better than what he got. And Watching this segment made me all kinds of mad, especially given everything Paige has accomplished since that point with DDP yoga and helping to get Jake Roberts and Scott Hall on the right track. The dude just plain deserved better. One line that I'm sure Andrew cringed at, but I laughed at was when, uh, when uh, Taker has DDP pinned and then he pulls him up after two and Heyman says, what a display of bravery by Paige to kick out that at two. That was funny. And, and, I'll and give Jim, him that. That was JR, funny. JR was like, what are you talking about? But, um, yeah, just this was probably the downer on the show to me. Um, and, and it, again, it's it goes 10 minutes and 15 seconds. I know they probably didn't want to have a steel cage match go five minutes, and that's probably the reason why this ended up going longer. But this the very same thing could have been accomplished in half of the time, in, in five minutes instead of 10, 15 Let's get to The Rock backstage in the trainer's room. And then again, here comes Stasiak flying and The Rock steps out of the way. He goes flying. So they kept they kept with the, the running gag a few times throughout the night. Hey, uh, if broke, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then we get the Angle versus Austin build-up package. Awesome package between these two guys. Again, with the let the bodies hit the floor. And this was right before... I think this was like a few weeks before the milk truck, right? With all, where all, where Angle came out with the milk truck and shot everybody in the ring with the milk and doused them like Stone Cold had done with the beer truck before. And Angle's throwing the cartons of milk in at him and everything, which is uh, one of uh, my little favorite moments of Raw. Um, and I and we find out we understand why these matches were booked in this order too, with Austin versus Angle, the better match than the Rock versus Booker T. But we don't get the good. 
title change feel good moment at the end. So I'm sure that's why they end up putting this match here and they end up closing with Rock versus Booker T. Rock's also making his comeback again after uh, some movie stuff. So Austin Angle WWF Championship. This is a damn good match. And it's unfortunate the way it ends. We understand why Kurt ends up winning the title the next month. So he does go over. He does eventually get some of his comeuppance and then. You know the weird story with these two And they're on the alliance side and then back and forth um, When it comes down to SummerSlam But man this starts in the aisle before the bell rings Then after about a minute they're into the ring Fast paced brawl start Austin with a shot to the back of the head And then he slows it down He's working on Angle's ankle and knee Which he's also been targeting in, in previous weeks Then Angle's countering into an ankle lock Austin gets to the ropes And then Austin's in control He hits some Some suplexes but then Kurt counters into the Germans He hits five in a row And then two more So hey way before there was Suplex City We've got Angle who ends up hitting you know Ten suplexes or so in this match um, And then an Austin heel poke to the eye To buy himself a little bit of time He hits a, he hits a stunner Kind of out of nowhere like an RKO You're just not really expecting it Doesn't have the setup for it or anything He just boom here's a stunner And Angle just kicks out Early, I mean, you know the match isn't going to end But Angle, boom, clean kick out of the stunner Austin gets up in the ref's face And then he hits another stunner And Angle takes like a rock stunner bump He takes a great, he goes flying Leaps and like rolls out under the ring Which is just real overselling And he... So then Angle's busted Then they get out um, outside Stone Cold's working on him outside the ring And Angle gets busted open He's... You know, Austin's getting him into the ring post over and over, wailing on him. Back in the ring, Austin covers for two. Kurt is one of the best at taking that long two count. When he's down, he'll be, you know, he, he's about to get pinned. You think he's going to get pinned. It's two and about nine tenths, and then he just flops that shoulder out of nowhere. You don't even see his body start to stir. He's one of the best at, like, oh, where did that come from? Just really making it believe like it was a super near fall. And um, Austin um, Austin tosses Kurt back outside Into the ring post again It's like the fifth or sixth time Kurt's countering And now they're in the crowd area Austin suplexes Kurt onto the concrete And Austin's about to climb back over the barricade And he's Kurt's playing possum He's hiding and he sneaks up And he catches Austin in the ankle lock While Austin's like Halfway climbing over the barricade Great visual with Kurt screaming As he's wrenching in the ankle lock And the blood is just running from his face It almost reminded me of Austin's Moment at Wrestlemania with Bret Hart Where the blood's running down his face Just a really cool visual um, Angle drags Austin back in the ring We get the ankle lock again Austin gets to the ropes Angle hits a belly to back Then another back suplex outside Great back and forth J.R. Heyman banter here I thought it was great I think Andrew will probably disagree a little when we talk more about it But Angle hits uh, a beautiful moonsault Long two count And then he locks in uh, Austin locks in the million dollar dream Which J.R. calls the Cobra Clutch And he said we haven't seen that since a guy named the Ringmaster Used to do it Little reference Mm. to the old Austin character Kurt tries to counter But Austin will not let the hold go And Kurt is just bleeding profusely The old arm drop where the referee drops Kurt's arms twice, but not the third time. Then Austin hits another stunner for just a two count. Angle then hits an angle slam for just a two count. 
And then, then Austin just starts cold cocking referees. He just lays out Earl Hebner. Mike Kyoto comes running down as Angle has Austin pinned. And um, he hits an angle slam just a two count. Or no, he Austin hits the low blow. That's what happens next. He hits the low blow to Kurt and then he stuns Kyoto. Then Tim White comes down. Austin nails him with the belt. And Angle has him pinned. Here comes Nick Patrick, who does the two count, and then he stops and he calls for a DQ. Austin keeps the title. Kurt Angle wins. And then after the match, Angle nails Nick Patrick. He puts him in the ankle lock. I always think it's funny when a ref gets put in an, uh, in a submission and they tap. It's like you're not in a match. What the hell you tap? The tap out doesn't do anything for you here. But uh, it's um, this is another one that this their their match next month is good. I thought this one this one is a better match than that one. But if if you could come kind of combine the two and have this match end with an angle winning the title finish, it would have been really really good. But I mean, these guys went at it, and this is like damn prime Kurt Angle here, Darren. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agreed with, with your last sentiment. Uh, I, I was really into this match watching it back and then the ending happened and I was like, really? Yep. That's how this ends. Yep. I mean, you, the, the, I mean, I, I get it. The guys, you know, stunning referees and beating the hell out of reps and, you know, hitting low blows, but. I mean, these guys have been brawling out in the apron, you know, slamming his face into the ring post 20 times. Angle's a bloody mess. It's a it's a great brawl with wrestling mixed in, which makes for a really good match when Austin has that kind of match. But, yeah, I mean, I honestly probably would have given this match, you know, four and a half, four and three quarter stars if it would have had some kind of a clean ending. I agree. It felt so close to a five star with yes. a clean ending. If not, it kind of knocks it all the way back down to four ish. It feels like that's, you got to take yeah. a lot off for it. Yeah, that that's what I, I mean. You know, when when Angle hits like that first Angle slam where you think he's going to win, the crowd goes nuts. Um, I I can't ever remember a match where Austin hits so many stunners without putting the guy away. Suplexes Maybe. too. He, you know, you fit. You remember Austin only being a brawler at this point, but you see, you hit it. It's not that he would just brawl. It's that he would mix in a little bit of wrestling here and there, just to let you know that he could still do it. You know, and just to kind of show that he still had it in the repertoire, which was great. It just adds to the match. Yeah, no, it's not, and that that's the cool thing about Austin is that if if you watched him, you know, ECW and he was cutting promos, and obviously. In the Hollywood Blondes and Stunning Steve Austin, he was a really good worker back then. Mm-hmm. And when he was the guy in WWE, he from a from a technically sound wrestling standpoint, he's past his prime. Um, it, it's really interesting in that his best wrestling work, in my opinion, is before he ever gets to WWE. Yeah, yeah that's true. Pure. Technical wrestling. Now, Steamboat, of course, he's got stuff with Ro, uh, with yeah. Dustin Rhodes, Steamboat, yeah. you know, like really good stuff over there. Yes. Now, that being said, of course, you know, his character is on a whole other planet when he comes to WWE. And he has fantastic matches, especially with guys, you know, like Bret Hart. And, and he does a great job in telling a story and, and putting matches together. Um, and this is another example of that. Um, you know, the, the, the suplexes, the Germans, the roll-throughs, 
Um, you know, the stuff outside the ring, uh, you get an elongated blade job from Angle, you kind of feel because he, he goes down to the floor and the camera kind of goes away for 10 seconds. And then it looks like Austin's going back to him, but it looks like Angle's still trying to blade a little bit. So Austin goes back and yells at the ref some more and they get the camera out of there again. So it looks like uh, Kurt was having a little bit tough time and he ended up ripping himself open pretty good uh, because, you know, there are times where it almost looks like during the match, there's blood coming out of his ears. That's how much blood uh, is on his face and on his head. But it is a, it is an enjoyable match. It's a brawl with wrestling. Angle is obviously, you know, tremendous. Um, I just would have hoped for a different ending. For me, it brought it from four and a half stars, you know, back down to four. I still think it's a four and a half star match, and I think it would have been five had they had a clean ending. Yeah, this sure. was fantastic, and I understand why you guys are are not going to down a peg or two because of the way WWF kind of booked themselves into a corner. They did, and, and that's he, the problem. You're right. They, yeah. they had no real good out right here. They and yep. they waited a little too long because Kurt was hot. I mean, it could have been worked perfectly right here. They just didn't want to do it because they just had the Austin change and he's at the alliance and if he loses immediately they lose some luster there so yeah I, i'm with you yeah hey yeah. andrew i'll even take it i'll even take it a step further I, i'll even say it doesn't even have to be a clean finish i needed some kind of a three count sure like an austin Fair. cheating Fair. give me some alliance help beat yeah. angle something like that yeah, however, sure. you, however you want to do it figure out a way that you get a three count and, yep. and i'll leave it with that now here is why i love this match so much Angle comes out and gets a big face pop. And you know that the fans want him to win because they don't chant, you suck. I, I had that down too. Yeah, there was yeah. no you suck chance there, which yep. it's so weird to hear that. My, my, my son was chanting it when we were watching it together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just a mark of good parenting. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, Austin comes out. The glass breaks. He comes out. Crowd is dead quiet. Yep. There's no booze. There's no cat calls. Nothing. And that is how you know turning Stone Cold Steve Austin heel was a very, very bad idea. This is the greatness of Steve Austin, though, because 10 minutes into the match, the crowd wants him to get his ass handed to him. That is how good he was, maybe not as a wrestler at this point, still as a worker. Because he worked this match like the biggest heel on the planet. And what resulted was a really good match between him and arguably the best technical wrestler in the world at that point in Kurt Angle. Angle strings together, I counted this, seven German suplexes in a row. I can't fathom the kind of strength that takes because we forget about this. Austin was a solid 240 pounds. He yeah. was not 210, 220, lean, he's whatever. In the ring with the takers and the canes all the time. So we forget he, he's, he's a big dude. You know, it was, yeah. it's, like, it's like the Hogan syndrome. You forget about how big Hogan really is too, you know? Yep, that's for sure. And I also love the spot where after they're brawling at ringside, Angle gets his second wind. He grabs the ankle lock on the floor, realizes he can't win on the floor, and drags Austin up the ring steps by his feet, gets him in the ring, and gets the ankle lock locked spot. in. Yeah, you knew that wasn't going to be the finish, but that was such a great spot. And the other great spot that I'm surprised Darren didn't bring up 
was the little throwback to Survivor Series 96 because you had the million dollar dream, yeah. the Cobra Clutch, whatever you want to call it. The Brett spot. Mm-hmm. Angle did the roll through. Mm-hmm. That's what made it for me. It wasn't necessarily that he was doing the million dollar dream. It was Angle did the roll through. Off the ropes, where, yep. off the turnbuckle where he pushes his feet off and he goes back and he tries to get in the pin, the one that ended the uh, Austin Brett Survivor Series 96. Yeah, that's it. And yep. that's a good reference. It's just a, a little, like you said, a little Easter egg that, you know, some guys like us will remember when you watch that. Yep. And also, not only does Austin kick out at two, he keeps the move applied, which is a pretty cool little thing there. Mm-hmm. These two guys, look, you had to think Austin knew he was on borrowed time. Kurt Angle had a history of neck problems. He hadn't gone down the very dark road that he was eventually going to go down yet. But you had to think that both of these guys knew, look, we don't know how many chances we're going to have to work together. Let's work our asses off. And that's absolutely what they did. I hated the DQ, but that's why DQ finishes exist. Because all it did was make the crowd want Steve Austin to lose the title more. Eventually he would. This was a stop along the way in doing that. This was still a great match. I really enjoyed watching this match. And honestly, there are times where you forget just how freakishly good Kurt Angle was in his prime. Everyone takes for granted, oh, Olympic gold medalist, he was great. He had as many four-star and up matches as anybody from 2000 to about 2004, 2005. I put his run in those years when he was healthy up against pretty much anybody. That's how good he was. Is, is Team Angle stuff and the stuff with Brock later in his career is good? And then, hell, he goes to TNA, and he has a great run in TNA and has probably, like, you know, if you're listing the greatest TNA matches, he's he's got them all. You name him with any anyone that was a star in TNA, he's got matches with them, some great Most ones. Most of them. The only, yeah. ex, the only thing that I would exclude would be the triple threat with Styles, Christopher Daniels, and I think Samoa, Samoa Joe, Joe. Was yep, that was an yeah. awesome one, that X Division match. That was great. Um, it, It's... I mean, and I love the I love this angle even more than the later angle. This early angle where he gets to work with Austin and The Rock and Taker and Kane, he just feeds off of them so well. And you know, we think about how great he is in the ring, but he is so great on the mic and his character work, even even as the the babyface at this point. We we forget about his good babyface run here, but as a heel, he's just He's just got it, that intangible it that we know when we see it in a great wrestler. And he's he's got it. And before we get into the final uh, the final match, I just wanted to tell one of the funny stories that I've heard from one of the, the documentaries about Kurt Angle. When initially he comes in to WWF. And he's meeting with Vince and they're talking after he wins the Olympic gold medal. And they're talking, they're, you know, they're discussing bringing him in. And he tells Vince, I can't lose. It, no one will believe it. I can't lose a match because I, I I beat everybody and it's gonna ruin my reputation. So if I lose in a fake wrestling match after I'm a gold medal winner, you know, and he he wouldn't he wouldn't commit to losing. And they all it took about six months. He ended up actually going to ECW. I think he was doing something at ECW, and it was one night where there was just some appalling stuff going on, and he quickly said, I'm not going to be a part of this, and he ends up coming back to WWF a couple years later, and of course, he figured, you know, they they talk it to him, and they tell him, Kurt, you're going to you're gonna have to lose some damn matches here, you know, but just funny that he thought when he came in, he was going to never lose. 
Yeah, didn't Vince give him a monster offer coming yeah. off of that? Yep, they did. And when uh, Angle came back, he had to take significantly less money as sort of a penance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even early, one of his first matches, I mean, he, he has a little streak for a while, but he actually gets choked out by Taz, too, um, in one like one of his bigger... Like, ended, it ended the undefeated streak. Yep. Yeah, and at that yeah. point, people legitimately thought that was going to be Taz's rocket ship. And then people remembered Taz was about five foot nine. But Angle, he is just in a great, great period of 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 his, of his talent, his ability, as good as you'll see him at this time period. Let's get into the main event. It is The Rock against Booker T. We get the promo package. One of my favorite SmackDown moments too was when Booker T comes out to interrupt The Rock. I would love when The Rock would bait the, would bait people on the mic to say and you know something. Who in the blue hell are you? It doesn't matter what. I would just love that. And he set Booker T up. I remember, and Booker T was all furious. And uh, we get Booker T with Shane O'Mac versus The Rock. Quick start. Rock chasing Shane um, around And Booker gets a slight advantage Just for a, a moment Lots of punches and kicks early Quick uh, quick pace, crowd really into it Rock tosses Booker over the top rope And he's working on Booker outside um, He sets him up on the announce table And a low blow to Booker Just blatant low blow JR's like, I didn't see anything um, Booker flips it around And now they're in the crowd And Booker's all over Rock So a lot of this is outside the ring In the crowd we get back in the ring. Booker slows it down a little bit. Heyman keeps calling the spin-a-rooney the most electrifying move in sports entertainment. And um, The Rock um, gains the advantage here. And Darren, he locks in that awful sharpshooter. Love me some Rock, but just it looks so bad. When we see when we see the Owen and the Brett sharpshooters, and then you compare it to this Rock one, it's just so brutal. It doesn't look like there's any pressure being put on the guy's lower back or any legs whatsoever. It just looks like he's like calmly got his legs crossed and the rocks kind of stretching him out or something, you know. It's like uh, you could no longer like sit down on the scorpion death lock and he yeah. just kind of like stands there with his knees like half stands. He doesn't even squat. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, but um, let's see. Rock goes after Shane, but Booker attacks when Rock is distracted. Shane exposes the top turnbuckle And then he comes into the ring when the ref is check- Checking on Booker And here's another one of those Shane just flying With the WCW belt I just love these little spots And then the APA comes down to the ring They're chasing Shane around This is a, a, a point that Darren referenced earlier And they they go around the, each side of the ring And so Ron Simmons is chasing him around one side And he, he runs him right into A clothesline from hell From JBL kids. Shane Shane was good in this show The the few times he's on the show And even the stuff that he's doing with Booker He he was good Um, So back and forth Rock hits a spine buster and then a people's elbow Shane pulls the ref out at two And then Rock gives Shane a rock bottom JR is just losing his voice He's going absolutely crazy Booker hits a spine buster And the scissors kick which was actually his finisher And he sets up the spinner Rooney I did like the finish I thought it was yeah, perfectly timed too So he he sets up for the spinner Rooney And he hits it And as soon as he turns around The Rock, the rock has just done a nip up And he catches Booker With a rock bottom for the win And new WCW champion So not as good as the other match This was it's fun This kind of reminds me sort of of the uh, Like better than the Jericho um, Rhino I think a little bit But a good solid match 
And point is, put the rock over here. Keep building up that. You know, the rock is now um, sort of your top guy on uh, on Team WWF. DZ, what'd you think of the main event? Well, I'll, I'll say this: I don't want people that, that listening think that I hated it because I didn't. It is a victim of being placed in a main event spot. Behind an extremely yeah. good match, it takes away from it. It does because the yeah. the match before it is a lot better. Hey, hell, the Hardy. There's a couple matches on the show that are probably a little bit better that get to a yeah. level that this one doesn't, and that I think yeah. that does hurt it. You're right. Yeah. If I to be what I would have preferred doing, would would I probably would have enjoyed this match more is if after the uh, Austin Angle match, if I stopped it. And maybe came back and watched this match later that day or maybe the next day by itself. Yeah. Because there was a bit of a letdown. And and why is that is because, I mean, look, for all the things that The Rock is fantastic at, he's not the greatest wrestler in the world. And he, um, he can't really carry. Like, he'll get you a good match, but I don't know yeah. if he can completely carry. Like, both of these guys, I think, maybe need to be carried a little bit. Again, they're not bad. Neither is bad. And they're going to no, give you great character stuff, but I, I feel it. It just felt a little, like a little something missing. Yes. it's it, Listen, it's not bad. And to be honest with you, and I, and I know this had to be the main event because, A, you know, what the storylines were at the time, and, B, you're not ending the pay-per-view with that you know, DQ finish, um, you know, with, with Angle and Austin. So I understand why. I probably would have liked this match more had it gone before Angle and Austin. Though. Um, you know, the, the, the wrestling aspects of it are fine. Um, you know, the, the crotch punch on the table is, is a funny spot. The Shane stuff in the match is really good. Uh, the clothesline from hell is is a phenomenal spot that, that I really, you know, kind of got me – you know, to go, oh, you know, get you one of those moments. And, and I thought the finish was great. I thought the timing of the finish was great. You know, the kip up and the, you know, right into the rock bottom and all that. I, I thought that was real good. And obviously, you know, arenas will always come unglued when the rock, you know, goes for people's elbow. And that's all, yeah, that's all well and good. Um, did I love it? No. Did I hate it? No. It was okay. Somewhere around the three-star match. Um, but again, I mean, this is what you're going to get from the Rock and Booker T, and you know, victim of of you know card placement behind uh, a phenomenal match is, is basically you know what I what I took away from it. You missed the biggest reason why this had to end the show because well, WCW lost the war, oh. pal. <laughs> so here we end the show with the Rock holding up the WCW title. Right. Right, right. Look, I understand why they did this. I understand Austin and Rock are the two most marketable guys in the entire company. You want to give them the two belts. You want to set up a tease of a big showdown down the road, especially after what happened at WrestleMania 17. Fine. I get it. Rock had just come back from shooting a movie. I believe this was the Scorpion King. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think so. Correct. Okay. So he was rusty. Booker hadn't quite developed into a top-tier ring worker at this point. Maybe he never did. But at this point, he was a mirror of the guy across from him. And you saw that in his WCW work. When he was with 
name redacted in the WCW TV Best of Seven series, you got fantastic matches. If he's with a good worker with a lot of charisma like The Rock, you get the match that we got. A good match that the crowd is into. If you put him with someone that's trying to do things he can't do, see also Triple H at WrestleMania 19, you get the kind of match that that was. And that's not a fault on Booker T. It's just that at this point, he was a mirror. So he was either going to reflect the quality of a good worker or the quality of a bad worker. Rock was by no means a bad worker. I'd argue he was a little bit rusty. The one thing I didn't like about this match was the way they did the finish. I get it popped the crowd. I get it was probably a heck of a lot more fun live at the time. But looking back, Booker hits his finishing move. Booker does his signature taunt. Rock essentially no-sells the finisher. Darren, I'm going to give you an honest assessment. Mm-hmm. Put Hulk Hogan in the Rock's shoes there. Yeah, I know. You're... Hogan no-sells that. What are you saying about this match? Yeah. Well, you know, of course. I mean, it's Hogan. He, he <laughs> got power out of it. I mean, he's the greatest wrestler of all time for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. That was my problem. Yeah. And it's not but, necessarily like I didn't get why they did it, but it was an instance where you're going, really, we're burying Booker T right off the rip when he's one of the few younger guys from WCW that people would know? It, it, it didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me the way that they did that. The match is still pretty good. It doesn't do anything not. for The Rock. That's the problem, right? It does. It does less for Booker than it does for The Rock. Like, it doesn't do anything for The Rock to beat Booker T here. It's cool that he holds the WCW championship for a little bit. That was one thing that Vince obviously wanted. But Booker losing here, like you said, it does hurt him a little bit. He comes in. This is one of the first big spots that he's in. He's in a main event match. He doesn't... He he delivers fine. Like, he's fine in the main event role that he's supposed to be in. You just... It it hurts him. So now, now we're looking at a WCW roster. We're honestly... If we're talking about the two guys that came over... With the most cachet of the current people that were on this show, it would have been Booker T and DDP, who were the biggest names of this group. And they both looked like chumps. Yeah. Yep. I mean, well, it's. That's it, design, it, yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, that, that's kind of what this invasion was all about when it came down to it. But. You know, overall thoughts before we get to Andrew picking uh, picking shows for next week. DZ, I really enjoyed it. I think again, not a whole lot bad. We have yeah. a nice nice start to the match with Edge. You got a, a fine Jericho match in the middle. The RVD Hardy is good. The Angle Austin great could have been even better with the finish, and then a fine ending with a, a good feel good moment and The Rock celebrating with the WCW title. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would go as so far as to say that there's there's really nothing bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, about this particular pay-per-view um, You know, there, there's there's plenty of good uh, There's some very good And there's a little bit of fantastic mixed in um, You know, do I love everything about it? There are a couple things I would prefer they did differently Sure, but I mean You'll never see a pay-per-view that anybody says You know, from start to finish You agree with every single piece of booking That they that they did um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good pay-per-view It's you know, it's had a very hot time for WWE. Uh, after WrestleMania 17, it's probably the second best pay-per-view of the year. Um, you know, I think if I remember correctly, I think the one that followed this is not terrible. Because uh, I think Angle and Austin 
have another good match after this. And I think Van Dam and Jericho have a good match at the Unforgiven after this. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that it's probably the second best pay-per-view of the year. Uh, and, and I enjoyed it. it. It was a good watch, and I'm glad you guys picked it. This was a fun show. I mean, the only bad match on it was the tag match with DJ yeah. and Canyon getting squashed. But there's so much fun stuff on the show that I had forgotten existed. Edge Lance Storm is yeah. a really good opener. The mm-hmm. RVD Jeff Hardy ladder match, really good stuff. And then you've got the two title matches in the main event. The other undercard matches were totally fine for what they were. This was a lot of fun. Okay, Andrew, you are up. Where are we going to be heading to next week? Gentlemen, what kind of mood are we in? Are we in Uh-oh. good mood? Oh, God, he's been scaring okay? me with this one, Darren. I have no idea where we're going because I've been getting warm. So. I'll, I'll be honest. Listen, I, I, my horse ran second last week. I got another one in on Monday. I got three rounds of good golf coming up at nice golf courses. And we have a new addition to the family with a puppy. So I'm in a good mood. So Uh-oh. this is the time. This is, this is the time for you to strike. I'm laying on you. <laughs> All Let's right. The good news is this will be by far the shortest program we have ever watched. Okay. The bad news is it is by far, unquestionably, without debate, the worst show on the WWE Network. Is it a WWE show or is it WCW? Darren, it's (laughs) neither. Oh, no. Where are we going? All right. So, it's fitting that we're doing this now because SummerSlam of 2001 was one of Vince's first shows after he won the war. He's put everybody out of business. It's his kingdom. Everyone worship at the altar of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Many years prior, his first step to world domination was putting out of business a lot of long-running regional promotions. And the reason these long-running regional promotions got put out of business is because they either could not adapt, they lost all of their top stars, or the people that were in charge had just lost their minds. In this case, I am referring to a convergence of all three factors. Gentlemen, (laughs) we are going for the first time where no three-man podcast on That's What G Said has gone before. We are going to the Midwest. We are going to Vern Gagne's AWA. Oh, wow. Okay, so where are we going? I have found this. Okay. It is so bad that you have to dig for it in the hidden gem section of the WWE Network. They will not put this in any place where you can accessibly find it out of fear that your child will walk in, watch this, and be scarred for life. <laughs> is this, the, the, tell me, is this going to be like Super Clash 3? You're not far off. Okay, where are we? So, in the dying days of the AWA, someone, no one is entirely sure who, and those who know are not taking credit, came up with the idea for something known as the AWA Team Challenge Series. Oh, God. Oh, God. So the way this worked is 
three guys who were considered AWA lifers. They were not going anywhere. They were loyal to the promotion, captained these teams. Baron Von Raschke had Baron's Blitzers. Uh, Larry Zabisco captained Larry's Legends. And Sergeant Slaughter captained Sarge's Snipers, I believe the team was called. Now, the way this worked was, depending on who was in the locker room at any given time, the teams fluctuated. So what you wound up with when all this was over was a guy by the name of Jake Millman. His nickname was the Milkman, winning a battle royal so that Larry Zabisco's team won a fictitious giant million-dollar check. Before they did that, they shot a television pilot for the AWA Team Challenge series. And that is what we are going to be looking at. Now, on the surface, this might not sound horrifying. It might sound bad, but it might, you know, not horrify it. So, just to give you an idea. This is an empty arena setup with a whole bunch of people superimposed, a whole bunch of stock video that randomly gets used. Some of the worst wrestling you will ever see on the <laughs> network. Greg Gagne as a color commentator. Colonel De Beers as an apartheid-supporting oh South African colonel. And Sergeant Slaughter at his heaviest in the main event. Gentlemen, it is a 40-minute show. We're okay. going to be talking about it for at least double that, given the <laughs> comedy, the unintentional and intentional comedy here, because there is so much to unpack, there is so much to digest, and I am so happy that I'll be able to hate watch this once again, because I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite things on the network, because I am a sick, sick man in desperate need of professional help. So, Darren, how you doing now? Where, where, where the hell on the network is it? You search for it. AWA Team Challenge Series. And, oh, by the way, just in case this didn't sound awful enough, I have two words for you. Foxy Boxing. God. Oh, this is great. So we will who be watching. The who, who the hell was the Terminator? Um, that is actually, according to some research, a brother of the Laurinaitis family that never made it. <laughs> he's in this show? He's main eventing with the Sarge. He's main eventing with the with the, with the with the very overweight slaughter. Oh, this is fantastic. Well, what, and what I like about this is it it's bad, but it's short. You know what I mean? So it's it's not going to, we're not going to have to go four hours of, of oh, bad. Oh, you might watch it for four oh. hours on a loop just to digest oh. what you've seen. This uh, is Gino, great. you're going to want to hide Milo. Darren, you're going to want to hide the new puppy. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> you know, the best part is it's actually under the hidden gems category. <laughs> It's the opposite of what it is. <laughs> Good. Oh, oh, this is great. This will be fun because it's a little bit different. It'll be something different. And, oh, it's uh, a lot different. Yeah. We'll have a good time talking about this. The AWA Team Challenge Series. That's going to be where we head back to next time. Fellas, uh, give us some of your plugs. DZ, let us know where we can follow you. And then, uh, Andrew, uh, let us know what's going on with uh, Champagne and JD this week. Sure. 
uh, at the track seven on uh, Twitter. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the derbies behind us heading up to the Preakness and the Breeders Cup. So, of course, we'll we'll dive into some thoughts uh, on that. Uh, keep rolling now that we're underway in fantasy football. Uh, we'll be tweeting out some guys that we think, you know, you should look at for picking up, some guys that we think you should be avoiding. And, of course, you know, just monitoring the world of horse racing uh, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. So, at the track, seven on uh, Twitter. I just want it known that Darren still sounds disoriented from the bomb he had dropped on. Him. And I'm <laughs> and we're all for clamped and flustered. I have Absolutely. no idea where I am or what I'm doing. <laughs> Mission accomplished. And we'll, <laughs> trust me, you're going to feel that way next week when we talk about this. Because <laughs> trust me, disclaimer to anyone that's listening, the stuff we will recap actually happened, was actually approved, and was actually submitted to a television network. So... Going back to what your initial question was, do you know my Twitter is at Andrew Champagne, and I'm doing a lot more in the way of NFL coverage this year. Last year, I had a really good year picking games against the spread. I went 33 and 23, and I'm knocking on wood, but it was a really good opening week for me. I went 4 and 0 after the Titans won outright on Monday night. Fantasy, not so much. I was actually leading at times in both of the late Monday night games, and that was just, it wound up not being good for me. Paging the New York Giants, if anyone ever wants to throw a block for Saquon Barkley, that would be much appreciated. I'm just saying. Darren's got some ins over there, so yeah, he might be able to send some messages for you. Yeah, the three of us and two guys off the street could have played offensive line for the Giants on Monday night. That was horrible. Anyway, um, I'll be doing a lot of that stuff. I'll still be doing a lot of racing stuff this week. Champagne and JD. We'll have a special guest, Jennifer Kelly, an author that wrote a great book on Sir Barton, is in the process of writing another great book on early 20th century horse racing. It'll be great to have her on to talk about some of the projects that she's been doing. And of course, all of our past episodes are online on YouTube. Search for Champagne and JD. You'll be able to find that stuff everywhere. I'll still be doing a lot of my freelance stuff for DRF video as well as for racing picks. And who knows, I might throw in some stable bull stuff as well. I had a shot to make some money today on Tuesday, but the latter half of the Kentucky Downs card was just not great for me. And the less said about Joel Rosario's ride on Mississippi. The better. <laughs> and, uh, since you're hot in the NFL, who should I take in my uh, knockout pool this week after coasting through with the Ravens in week one? Oh, dear. Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Now the pressure is on. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with a little bit of an underdog, at least according to the early spread. Rams over the Eagles. I think Aaron Donald is going to have a monster day against a banged-up offensive line. Okay. Fair yes. enough. Fair enough. There we go. There I, go. I, I also got through week one in the, the Survivor last week, Darren. I went with, with the Bills. So we're all Titans alive. Here. here we go. We're all alive and rolling. Fellas, thanks again. And I, I mentioned this before we started. In maybe in a few, I think in a few weeks, let's let's plan on like week four or five of the NFL. We'll just um, we'll go a couple, we'll go an extra week in between the wrestling, and I'll bring you guys on, and we'll just do an NFL preview for the week and go through all of our plays for the week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it, and remember, heading into next week, yay, yay, yay for the <laughs> AWA. Folks, don't go anywhere. Big thank you to Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne. We'll be right back with more on that's what G said. Hey, big thank you to Andrew and to Darren. Big thank you to Eric for coming on earlier, talking some 
NBA and some NFL with us. Don't forget, folks, all the sponsors of That's What G Said. Thrive Fantasy, promo code GINO, gets you that $20 instant deposit bonus when you deposit $20. Full service realtor, Cindy Carava, cindycarava.com, oldsmokeclothing.com, promo code GINO, gets you free shipping. Sarahcandles.com, all natural soy wax candle, promo code GINO, 10% off your purchase. Play Stable Deal, Duel, download the app. If you need any help with that, I can always uh, do my best to help you get a, a winning lineup picked. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, download, share the show around with your friends. This is when we feel at our best when there's so much going on. Baseball, basketball, football, racing. We're going to talk wrestling. We're going to be your eyes and ears. Keep you informed on everything here on That's What G Said. Have a great weekend, folks.